Oh, and welcome to yet another exciting episode of Skeptics and Stickers. I'm your host, David the Skeptic, and I'm joined by a modly, modly crew. Uh, we have, I'm just going to list them off. Uh, we have Matthew. Uh, we have Andrew. We Yo. have Brian with a Y. Why? Because yes, we like you. Uh, we have Sarah. And it is among all things possible that somewhere along the way we might have a Darren. Uh, he has lost his opportunity to be properly introduced. Um, but we are going to get right into it. Um, I have a name uh, for this podcast when I finally put it up there. And it's going to be something that my uh, co-hosts today have not heard. <laughs> they're going to hear the name and they're going to think, what? Is that what we're supposed to be talking about? Uh, no, this is a last-minute surprise, people. Um, in fact, uh, as far as the actual topic uh, list, Andrew uh, made that up and sent that out uh, a good week ago. Uh, I haven't read it. I don't know what's in it. Andrew, I hope you have it. Um, I have it. Um, <laughs> because someone's going the... to keep us on track, because I've, I'm on a different track. <clears throat> so unusual. <laughs> oh, I have I, I say that out loud. <laughs> it's not like I didn't read the topic list. I did read it, uh, but that was as soon as it was sent out a week ago. And honestly, that it just is. I so what I'm saying is I didn't read it. Um, <laughs> and um, <laughs> so uh, I'm I'm going to uh, jump in. Uh, today's episode on the site will be called "Does Christianity Have Anything Useful." to say about current events. and Very uh, short show. So, very short. <laughs> very short. We are, uh, <laughs> so we are going to uh, have another swing at current events. This is uh, an all-skeptic cast, as you might have noticed by the names for those who have been listening for a while. However, I would love to see um, Russell uh, set up a christian version of this show that we were about to do uh this is not something that i wanted to spend time debating today but there are some things that we wanted to talk about that we just don't get to talk about uh openly and plainly when there's a debate format and so this is another one of these uh, opportunities where each side gets to listen to the other uh as as we process uh some of these current events uh so uh, russell uh, Vic Ruiz, not a Christian, but he's on your side. Uh, trust me, uh, I'll get you in touch. Uh, Vic, I haven't forgotten about you. Uh, we know that uh, Teddy is uh, over there in uh, in uh, the extreme uh, right of right. Uh, and um, who knows, maybe you will be able to uh, get Dale. Uh, I hope so, but I would like to see... Uh, I would like to see... Christians and or uh, conservatives have a version of this conversation. Also, speaking of things that are coming up uh, soon, the superhero show is coming together uh, nicely. There is a, a rather large cast of, dare I say, characters um, that, are <laughs> that are coming together. It's going to be a good show. Uh, we will be recording that in a couple of weeks uh, and it will come out sometime in December. I will not say that it will come out the day that we record it. I think I might hold that in the hip pocket for Christmas Day or something like that. 
so that uh, we can have a little bit of fun uh, in the turn of the year. That's going to be a great show, though, so a lot of preparation uh, going in uh, to that one. Uh, does anyone have anything to pitch or plug uh, before I get started with an opening statement? Yes, yes. Um... A couple of weeks ago, over on Still Unbelievable, we have a lot of cross-listeners here. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, over on the podcast, Still Unbelievable, a couple of weeks ago, Matthew and I hosted John Steingard, and it was a it was a fantastic episode. So for those of you that know who John Steingard is and uh, are interested in his story, his uh, walk away from Christianity after leading a uh, a Christian band, go and uh, go and look up that episode. It was a wonderful uh, interview. John is a very engaging guy, and um, you know, go and enjoy. Look forward to your feedback. Great, uh, Matthew. Anything? I got nothing else to add to that. Thank you. Okay, uh, Brian with a Y. The world wants to know when we're going to get a comment section. Uh, and I can tell you, I asked him this before the show, and he said something about wading through piles of crap. Uh, do you have anything um, more useful to say at this time, uh, Brian, with a Y? Uh, yes. Uh, when, I, when I'm off mic today, I'll spend some time looking for my hip waders and for a skimmer so that I can successfully call the comment section for something that you and I can have a show about. So I am I'm eagerly awaiting that. All right. Uh, so that no listener is more eagerly awaiting that show than me. Um, those are my favorite shows. I've said it since the first one we did. Uh, they continue to be my favorite shows. It's not like I don't like these conversations that we're about to have, um, but the comment section uh, shows are honestly uh, my favorites. Uh, I feel like I should sell tickets for people to uh, to join in on those conversations. Um I feel very fortunate to have a front row seat that I cannot be wedged out of. So um, with that, uh, let me just bring up my notes. I did warn my uh, co-hosts in advance that I will be sending them my notes uh, before I got started. So now you all will get my notes. And... If the speed of light means anything, you should have it by now. Oh, look at that. All right. E equals MC, yes. Yes, that's it. That's it exactly. So um, I want to, uh, Andrew and I have actually been in uh, conversation. Uh, this should come as no real surprise to anyone. Um, when I... <laughs> When, I, when I'm not podcasting and when I am not uh, working and uh, when I'm not avoiding Andrew because I'm sick of him, um, he and I talk a lot. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, uh, but Don't believe everything you hear. Some of that is fake news. <laughs> the the latter never happens. I'm never <laughs> sick of Andrew. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, and in fact, this show... Uh, was birthed out of uh, one of those conversations. And, um, you know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, after an hour of conversation, uh, I said something like, you know, we should uh, we should turn on the mic. We should uh, we should podcast about this. And 
you know, Andrew's a bit of a podcast whore. And so he said, yeah, 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 we should do that. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send out invites. Okay, wait then, a minute. The, the way that went to. down was you said, I don't want a podcast about politics. <laughs> we should and, podcast and, about and, this. And, and you and, said, Andrew, I don't want Andrew. a podcast about politics. <laughs> my, my, my show, my version, my version of the show. Oh, no, this is going up on Proscenium, too, dude. We can just... <laughs> Come on, let's save the fight until later. Okay. Oh yeah, it's, we don't it's, have any Christians here. Oh no, <laughs> trust me, I've I've got plenty of crazy to cover both sides. So, um, so yeah, this is this came from one of those uh, conversations, and and quite frankly, lots of the roundtables start off uh, that way, um, and um, so I, I gave some thought to the to, to the list of characters to be on the show, but I've been, I've been thinking about this on and off for a while. Uh, Andrew and I have talked about a lot of different things and I'm counting on him to either remember some of those things or find his initial set of notes <laughs> that he took. Uh, because I think, I think there were some great grounds for conversation and I figured, well, Andrew would probably care about talking about the more political things, but I wanted to bring in a little bit of the theological and philosophical uh, into this. Uh, to make it a proper SNS topic. And uh, so part of the conversation that Andrew and I didn't get to have just kind of introduced. So Andrew, I guess we're having it now. Uh, looks like. <laughs> is um, how, how far apart the two sides are. And I, I know, I don't like binary thinking as if, you know, there, there are only two kinds of people. Uh, that's never true, but things do feel very binary these days. There's uh, there's the Christian, uh, cons a politically conservative fundamentalist side, and then there's the other side. <laughs> and uh, I don't know um, what the middle ground is, and so this is part of the problem. But I, I think that the sides are so far apart, and I think that we're uh, in such a dangerous place in society. This is such a, an, an interesting time in history because I don't see a way back. And so I, I feel quite a bit of despair when I look out in the world and assess, excuse me, current events. And I'm just gonna explain a little bit why I feel that way. And um, to, if, if there are any uh, of my co-hosts who would like to talk me off the ledge uh, during the course of this show. That's fine. But I want to explain why it is I feel this way and why I think that we have, have gone so far uh, that I don't, I don't know that there's a way back. Uh, I honestly don't see it. And so maybe there will be some discussion around that. Um, so 10 points. Uh, I'll go through them as quickly as possible. Uh, it might be five minutes. It might be 15. I have not rehearsed this. Number one, uh, we just don't have any common ground uh, anymore, uh, any serious common ground. I mean, we can talk about uh, football teams, you know, and you can call that common ground if you like. But when it comes to substantive matters, uh, people on the two sides that I described before just have less and less common ground to the to the point where I don't. I don't see what that common ground is. Uh, two, we 
have such epistemological differences uh, that I don't think that it can be bridged. And the reason is because epistemology is fundamental. Epistemology is not secondary. Uh, it's fundamental. And so uh, in order to have a useful conversation, there are presuppositional things that we all have to agree on. Uh, they're base foundational things. And if we differ on those foundational things, the way we come together is through a shared epistemology so that we can look at things and see what they are and come to agreements, but we don't have a shared epistemology. Uh, if, if epistemology for me is, uh, I only believe things that are empirically provable. In epistemology for you is, I only believe things that are on faith. The two can never meet. Now I know that those are extreme, but I would say that uh, at least from my perspective, if faith is any part of your epistemology, we can't meet. Because at some point you'll be able to apply that card. And so no matter what I do, no matter what I say, you have an epistemological difference that will that will keep us apart. And there's no way to bridge that. Uh, we have to have some kind of shared epistemology and less and less we do. Number three, um, the other... And by other, I mean those who are not in your in-group, my in-group. Uh, the other is no longer just wrong, but they're the enemy. Have you noticed this happening uh, in society, in uh, discourse over the last few years? Uh, I've noticed it, and it scares me. It, it quite frankly, uh, <laughs> frightens me. There, there, are, there used to be a time uh, when people of sharp disagreements could have those disagreements and remain friends uh, and remain on the same side even. But today, uh, especially in today's political climate and current events, you are not just wrong anymore. You're the enemy. Uh, and that makes it very, very hard to come together uh, with an enemy uh, for we fear the other. So it's not just that the other is wrong, we fear them. Notice how Christians, some Christians talk about um, uh, people who are not Christians, uh, and I'm not just talking about you, Dale. Um, I'm talking about uh, Christian fundamentalists, period. Just look around, listen. Um, they're, they're satanic. Um, we are tools of the devil. Uh, this, is, this is extreme talk. And how do Christians feel about Satan and those who further his ends? Uh, they're not only enemies, but they're frightening enemies. And that's, that's how they see us. And quite frankly, uh, it, to be perfectly honest, uh, how I see them uh, much of the time. This makes it very hard to come together in any kind of uh, civil discourse and uh, agreement. Uh, five, we, uh, we doubt the motive intelligence of the other. Um, I could have split this up into two. Uh, I was thinking that five was going to be all <laughs> at the time I got to this, and so I wanted to get them both in, so that's why they're lumped together. Um, it used to be that we could just say, uh, you know, just give the other the benefit of the doubt. At least they mean well. You know, they, they have the wrong idea, but they mean well. But today, we don't give the other the benefit of the doubt. They don't mean well. They don't think we mean well. And once once you uh, 
suspect the other of having a bad motive, there's there's no communication possible at that point. There's no detente. Uh, and once you suspect that the other has a lesser intelligence, that they have, that the barrier between the two of you is not just uh, a lack of understanding, but that the other can't understand you. It's like explaining physics to a four-year-old. Uh, and I think that that is uh, true on both sides as well, if we're perfectly honest. Uh, so, uh, six, we have incompatible worldviews that keep a wedge firmly in place. Uh, and so even uh, conversations that uh, I as a skeptic have with Christians, uh, they can have progress every now and then. But no matter how much progress we make, at some point we hit a wall. And that wall is God. It, it's a God wall. Now, I know that there are Christians like uh, Peter uh, in the comments. Hello, Peter. Uh, I know there are Christians uh, like that uh, who see God more as a bridge. And so I'm not speaking about all Christians, but of the type of Christian that I'm talking about, God has become a harder and harder wall and a higher and higher wall. And you can't scale it. You can't move it. You can't compromise around it. And so when when the conversation gets to a certain point. Uh, if it's a political conversation, it might get to abortion at some point. It comes to a place where God is involved and no compromise is possible. And even if we on the other side without a God could compromise, the other side couldn't because to compromise would be to deny God in some way. And that that worldview wedge is not going anywhere. Um, and so makes it very hard. Uh, number seven, uh, the grace period has expired. Uh, now I'm speaking for myself here. I'm not speaking for anyone on the panel. I expect the most pushback on this one. Um, but at some point, you give people the bit, you stop giving people the benefit of the doubt. Uh, and I don't know what that point is, uh, but you reach it. Individuals reach it for themselves. So, for instance, uh, in in terms of racism, I am no longer listening to uh, reasonable arguments supporting neo-Nazism, supporting the Ku Klux Klan, uh, supporting uh, racial white superiority. I'm no longer reasonably listening to those arguments. That ship has sailed. The time has passed. Uh, you know, at the time of this ignorance, <laughs> we winked at, but now we. Uh, require everyone to repent. It's over. That grace period is over. We're not having that conversation. And if you're still there, I'm sorry. Evolution has left you behind. I'm done with you. I'm done with that conversation. We're done. And I think that on uh, uh, many things that are happening in uh, politically, current events, there was a time when we could have grace about some of these things uh, that we're talking about, where we could bend an ear and listen and, and carefully consider. But I've got to tell you, from my part, that grace period is past. It has expired, and I think it's the same way on the other side. And once that happens, communication is not possible. Eight, uh, we do not have the same understanding of good. I clashed with uh, my good friend uh, and uh, philosophical mentor Val uh, on this earlier 
this year. Uh, we did um, the morality show, and uh, I made the suggestion that Christians and skeptics do not, in fact, uh, have the same understanding of good. And so you could say, oh, no, you know, at some higher level, we all want good, but we just we just agree on how to get there. And I would say, no, that is not the case. Not at the lower level, not at the level where the rubber meets the road. We do not agree on what good is. Never mind how to get there. We don't even agree on the goal. We, The things that I call good, the other side calls bad. The things they call good, I call bad. There is no point of connection uh, anymore. And uh, that gets further away. And so it, it becomes quite difficult uh, to have reasonable communication when you cannot agree on the good. Nine, the ends justifies the means. This happens on both sides uh, and I am first to admit that uh, I would liken this. I would explain it this way. I'm a I'm a sports fan. I like football. Uh, and let's say a big game, the Super Bowl. Uh, your team uh, and the other team, they're very close. Comes down to maybe one play. Uh, the play happens, and it's a penalty. It's an egregious penalty. A team scores. They win, but it should have been a penalty. The replay, it happens. You see it. The judges look at it. They take five minutes to look at it. Uh, they put up their hands. It's a score, and the, everybody knows that the other side cheated. <laughs> they know it. Uh, or at the, at the very least, it was a penalty. They should not have allowed that score. You know what the, the, the people uh, on the winning side do? They say, Yeah! <laughs> We won without shame, <laughs> without shame, because they won. That's the ends. Now, this is sports. It's stupid. It doesn't really matter. And part of sports is uh, sometimes, uh, you know, bad things happen and the refs don't see it. Uh, and if the refs see it, uh, it's a part of the record. If they don't see it, that's a part of the record. So I get that. Uh, I don't get too upset about it. But the thing that's really interesting uh, about it when you uh, when you look at research because there's been a lot of research on this the the people who uh, look at a game and argue over penalties the way you determine that penalty has almost entirely to do with who you are pulling for <laughs> and, the, and and you will see it uh, that way the way that benefits your team uh, that's great in sports it's not so great in real life. It's not great at all. And so when uh, uh, conservative Republicans, conservative Christians uh, look at someone like Trump, um, they take a very ends justifies the means approach. Uh, we don't care who this guy is. We don't care what he does. He could rape three people on the way to work in, uh, on a video. Don't care because he represents an, uh, a, excuse me, an ends. And he is the means to that. Uh, when the ends justifies the means mentality uh, infects both sides, there's no way to connect because it doesn't matter what you agree on during your conversation. At the end of the day, the only thing that really matters is your ends. Uh, number 10, and finally, trust has been broken. Uh, let me just put it this way and not put this on the backs of anyone. I listen to a lot of conservative Christians uh, in my real life, in my uh, fake internet life, uh, in my research, and I've got to tell you, uh, I don't trust them anymore. I don't trust them. I am sorry, conservative Christians who are part of this audience, who are part of the show, I don't believe you. 
I don't trust you have wrecked your credibility with me, uh, at least on uh, matters of current events. Uh, probably not everything, but I've got to tell you, when you say things that you are passionate about, I don't believe you. And there is nothing you can do or say that will make me believe you at this point. We're done. I'm done believing you. Uh, you could apologize. I would accept that. Uh, you could you could say that you were wrong. You could change directions, but nothing short of that is going to make me believe the next thing you say. That trust is broken, and I'm quite sure uh, that many listening to the sound of my voice will say, "Yeah, I I don't trust you either." But that's the problem, isn't it? And that's why we can't reach. We can't reach because there is no trust. Because there is too much of the ends justifies the means. Uh, we don't uh, have the same understanding of good because the grace period is over, uh, because uh, our incompatible worldviews are drifting even further apart, because we don't believe that the motives uh, are proper, uh, because we fear the other, because uh, the other is the enemy, because uh, we don't share an epistemological foundation, and because of that we have no common ground for communication to begin with and this is why i am in a moment of despair right now and why i think the current events that we're facing right now may be a prelude to something much worse in the very near future i pass it on to whoever wants the torch wow i don't know what to say uh david um i share quite a lot of the concerns and things that you've said. I would like to, to in contrast, offer a little bit of hope in, in response to that. Um, and I hope it doesn't sound like I'm trying to minimize the what you've just expressed, because that's absolutely not my intention. The Christians in my life don't sound like the Christians in your life. So the hope that I want to offer is there are Christians that we can share with. They're obviously not the conservative Christians that you're talking about. And I'm very happy and very pleased that I have plenty of Christians in my life who are not like that. But yes, I share that despair of the the conservative Christians. And I see that. And I see what's happened in America and I see some of it in the UK. And I see a lot of it online, not just in America, but also in UK. And I worry where that branch of Christianity is going and I think to make things worse, I think that branch of Christianity is going to increasingly look very different to the kind of Christians that I see, the kind of Christians that are in my life and the kind of Christians that I love. And I think those Christians and the conservative Christians are going to have a rift between them as well. So let me point out, uh, Matthew, I'm going to come in and agree with you at least a little. Uh, David, I hear all of those uh, objections and I feel every one of them uh, at least from time to time. And then there's this thing that you and I talk about quite a lot when we're listening to each other, because um, probably more than either of us podcast about important things, we talk to each other uh, uh, about uh, uh, things that are personal and meaningful. And the, the notion that we talk about very often is philosophical charity. And while I think I feel every one of these points. In fact, I, I, uh, I took the opportunity to write them down. Um, I do feel them, uh, but I think that 
if we don't want to end up in a place where the American experiment fails and where other countries who look to the American experiment for some kind of leadership, and I, I don't mean economic leadership, I don't even particularly mean governmental free, uh, leadership, I, I particularly mean open conversation. What does it mean to have freedom of speech? If there's ever been a time in our history where we had to be philosophically charitable to the other side and where we had to attempt to set these feelings aside, give the other guy the benefit of the doubt, today is that day. And I'll move right into point one from, uh, from the list I sent out. That, that question was this. Given that the Supreme Court just sided with, with churches on religious freedom in the face of a global pandemic, what does it mean for us to, uh, to take that seriously? What is, how should we view the action that the Supreme Court took? So we, we know that social distancing is important. And, and in my view, I'll go ahead and say it, uh, which, and this won't sound particularly philosophically charitable. Um, in my view, the latest Supreme Court ruling that that told New York that it, uh, you know, it, it couldn't uh, place any restrictions on religious gatherings. What that decision essentially means is that churches just got a license to kill the most vulnerable and needy among us. Let's make no mistake about it. The demographic that goes to church are the elderly. And very many of them are much more subject to the ravages of COVID-19 than the millennials. And yet, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to ask a clarification question here. So that decision by the Supreme Court, doesn't that contravene your constitution about showing preference to religion? Mm. We've been so having that debate for a long time. Yeah, this, this isn't the first time that this has come up. So the, so the Constitution of the United States guarantees that there will be no law passed that favors one religion over another. And that it will, not, it, it will not establish a church, uh, a state religion. Uh, That's right. That, that would, you know, it would prefer uh, in some way. Right. And so, in fact, uh, in Neil Gorsuch's, my apologies, uh, I have a hard time uh, uh, providing the possessive for his last name. In Neil Gorsuch's uh, majority opinion, he specifically talked about this being a time where we could not set aside the Constitution and the guarantees of religious freedom provided to people in the United States. So it, it very much depends on uh, how you view the original documents. Yeah, so... Um... Before I chime in on that piece of the conversation, and I very much want to, 
Brian and Sarah, uh, you cannot get away with uh, just hanging out in the gallery. Oh, this is this is an listen only. No, I thought I was not paying enough to be listening. You might only. have gotten that opinion early on. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, if, if I had if I had to jump in and weigh in, uh, I would say that I, I hope you have room on the ledge for me to join you, <laughs> because I could have written those same ten points down uh, if asked to before this call as well. I am so fearful of the fact that the common ground may have uh, disintegrated. I don't know where it is. I don't know how to find it. I mean, people are literally looking for truth uh, out of Trump's Twitter feed. And, and if that's where you yeah. think you get truth from, how are we ever going to have a conversation about what's really going on in the world? I mean, he, he's so, used Twitter for eight months to tell people that the election was going to be fraudulent. And then when it happened, he said, look, it's just what I said it was. But it's the, the before and the after are happening in the same spot in his Twitter feed. So I, I don't know how to share a conversation with someone who thinks that that's a legitimate retort to, uh, to reality. But those are two different questions, though, aren't they? How we arrive at truth and where the people we're talking to are getting their truth. So, so one is an epistemological question that, that David rightly pointed out we differ over. Um, so shouldn't we, regardless of how bad this time is, and, and make no mistake about it, I think we are uh, we, we are back in the days of McCarthyism, right? I, I, I think that's right. But shouldn't we be able to go to the people that we disagree with and not start on what what they say is true? But shouldn't we still be able to start on what sound epistemology is? Maybe we disagree, but are we all saying that we should just give up and no longer have the conversation? Or are we really saying that the world is so far around the twist that we can't even engage in the conversations? I, I am to the point where I cannot. Uh, I'm not saying that we, uh, royal we, cannot. Uh, so, for instance, when when someone tells me that, uh, you know, they learned this thing uh, about uh, the nature of reality based on a Trump tweet, I, I don't even try to have the discussion about whether that thing is true or not. Because if this is if this is a place where you think, you know, reliable information comes from, we're already too far away for for that um because i i can just say no that's that's not that's not a good reliable uh place for for true information and they will say oh no it is it's the it's the president's uh tweets and i'm i'm just done i'm done with that conversation i i will change the conversation to the latest football game because that's the that's the only level of conversation we can have at that point I would like to point out that uh, Joe Biden won the popular vote, and and it wasn't particularly close. Not only did he win the popular vote, but uh, as long as the Electoral College holds, which is a, a question down the line here, boys and girls. Um, if the Electoral College holds, Joe Biden won by the same margin this year that Donald Trump won by in 2016. But you called a landslide. 
Right. It, it was, <laughs> <laughs> well, and, which, and so look, if you so see, you can get truth out of Donald Trump's Twitter feed. Joe, you know, Joe Biden won by a landslide. There, Sarah, you can you, just just Sarah, it sounds it sounds like years. you may have walked out of the room with your microphone. We were telling you to move it a further away. You've maybe moved it a little too far <laughs> away at this point. That's better. Okay. I don't want to break my my, my microphone because um, I was just going to say this reminds me of when the uh, that dress broke the internet. You know the, uh, oh, the, blue, the blue. blue. Is it blue and black, or is, or is it is yes. it white yeah. and gold? Yeah, it's right, um, right. it's very much like that. It's like we are no longer in a world where people's psychophysics is the same. There is like they are operating on a completely different level, and what you've just gone through there, America, is pretty much almost an extension level event for democracy. I mean, it's been absolutely terrifying to watch. We can't believe our eyes that. This, I can't even, I can't not, sorry, use ad hominem for this guy, but this orange fool is testing your institutions and bending your democracy. How dare he do such a thing? It's fragile, it can break, and he is nearly pushing it to the point where you're going to lose complete um, trust in your institutions and in your processes. And this is just uh, terrifying to watch. And I agree with there's just there's no middle ground. It's like you're either for Trump or anti Trump. And there's no there's no middle ground. And it's it seems to be increasingly difficult to, uh, for people to, to have a conversation. And I think partly that's to do with the way the, the media and social media and the Internet in general. I mean, if anybody's been watching social dilemma on netflix or listen to uh, tristan harris uh who left uh, i think it was google was it or so one of the big one of the big tech companies and he says you know we've designed it so that it's addictive we've designed it so that and you know a moderate reaction isn't exactly something that keeps people's interest so you need to push them to extremes and so everyone's just getting pushed into extreme positions i'm guilty of it myself on the forums being way more one-sided than I should be I'm actually pretty moderate in the middle <laughs> and you get pushed into these positions because it's almost like the definition of what you're not and so you you automatically fall into this other camp and I, I don't know what the uh, the way out is either really that in terms of just tempering it down that's all you can hope that the next administration can do for you is is to bring the temperature down try and find some middle ground and some some bipartisan agreement and, and work together and draw people together because it's it's so polarized but it's the same with brexit in the uk it's the same with with just uh, it just seems to be everything this let's just say 2020 is an exhausting year yeah but it didn't start in 2020 did it um no. you know it, and it honestly it didn't start uh, in 2016 uh i think uh in part part of my theory on this uh, as as I as Andrew is probably tired of of me saying, um, we've been like this for a long time. Um, which in, in Trump is not the problem. Uh, he Ooh. is the manifestation uh, of the problem, but he's uh, the personification of the problem. Even, but he's he is. Um, you know, the leader of a pack that has been around for a very long time. Thing is, they were just quiet and, and they were pretending to be something else. They were pretending to blend in, uh, but they were always there. They've been there since the time of slavery. They came across in the Nina, the Pina, and the Santa Maria. 
they have they have always been with us, and they have had more or less power uh, as time waxes and wanes. But uh, you know, lately they have been uh, out of power, and they've had to pretend to get along. But Trump came along, and he gave them a voice, and he coaxed them out of hiding, and he said that it was okay uh, to to be who you are. And so they did slowly and grudgingly at first, uh, around that first uh, election in, in 2016, you couldn't find a person in Alabama, I was living in Alabama, you couldn't find a person in Alabama who supported Trump. Uh, Andrew, I think you were living uh, uh, there or uh, uh, around that time too, you, uh, certainly in the South. You couldn't find someone who said, yeah, Trump! No, no, but they were there. He he carried these states by huge margins. It's just that nobody wanted to say it, but now they're out, uh, and it and it looks like oh, all of these people they they've suddenly things have suddenly changed. No, it hasn't changed. They've always been there. They they're just emboldened now, uh, and when but Trump is gone, think, they'll still um... be there. He was very so, good at reading at reading what the problem was in terms of a disenfranchised uh, blue collar working class that you know had seen their power of of uh, pay diminish over over decades uh, you know and see their industries decimated and things and going off to foreign lands so I mean he really tapped into that and it's the same with Brexit and if you give people a hammer which was the vote for Brexit or a vote for Trump uh, people are going to to use that as they see it as, as, as their avatar or everything that's wrong for them so you can't blame them and I think whoever comes forward is going to have to address that and, and do something for, but he's ironically he's not done anything for that class has he he's not actually done anything that's that's helpful to them so um he's campaigned on building a wall which he never fulfilled and uh but there's the problem now you're now you're actually where the real problem is nobody nobody wants to talk about this out loud but so david i was living in alabama up until 2014 but to talk about this problem clearly, we've got to go back to 2008. So 2008, I owned a, a wireless internet company. And we had, we had a, a, a knock, a network operations center, although uh, that might be a little, little grandiose to, to call it a network operations center. It was a little steel building uh, in an incredibly poor neighborhood in Cherokee, Alabama. Well, well Andrew, don't don't knock it. Oh, 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 no. Okay, the machine is spooling up, and it's and it's threatening to take points away from that. Never mind. I'm um, just I'll mind my own business so, here. Go ahead. No, no, so, but here's what happened in 2008, and you're all wondering what the heck is he talking about. So we have this little building in this in this very impoverished part of Cherokee County in Alabama, and. Uh, this equipment, you know, we have some pretty expensive servers and network equipment and all that sort of thing there. And we have this this tower with a with a backhaul unit and antennas and all that sort of thing in this impoverished area. Now, mind you, it runs 24 hours a day and it's not manned, right? But every once in a while something goes wrong and and uh, we have to go over and uh, you know lay hands on a keyboard. My business partner went to that neighborhood. Every time, carrying a nine millimeter weapon, 
here's here's why it's important. In 2008, Barack Obama was running for president. And it's the first time in my life, I've spent a lot of time in impoverished neighborhoods. If you grow up in Alabama, you don't have any choice. It's the first time I saw those people in that neighborhood happy over any damn thing in the world. My business partner, with with no evidence of, of wrongdoing, always felt threatened going into that neighborhood. Our equipment was never damaged. We never suffered any theft. But he went into that with a gun every time he went in. What I'm telling you is, the problem between our two Americas right now didn't start in 2016. It started in 2008. That fear that he had then is the same fear that you see right now. And it doesn't really have to do it doesn't really have to do with packing the Supreme Court. It doesn't really have to do with coronavirus. It really has to do with a, a more fundamental problem about how we see equality. And in my view, Donald Trump was almost the inevitable answer to eight years of Barack Obama. And I think it is the most shameful part of the American story. Yeah, I, I will just add, uh, Barack Obama uh, represented the sum of the fears of a, a particular demographic. Uh, it was it was a time they never thought they would see. And what and I'm not just talking racism, so don't don't think this is as simplistic as that. It's when any majority who has been who has been a historic majority, uh, not not a majority like you know Congress and Senate, uh, you know this year they have majority, two years they don't know. When a historic majority um, loses power, uh, they become afraid, uh, and we have been working toward this shift in our country where the historic unquestioned power brokers are facing a situation where they're not the unquestioned power brokers and it's someone else it's you know if you've had your foot on the neck of the little guy and suddenly the little guy has power you're gonna buy a gun <laughs> you know so that's, i want to say that uh, i didn't I didn't mention racism, and in that part of Cherokee County, there were as many ramshackle trailers as there were ramshackle houses. Now you have to, David, you'll you'll understand it. You sort of have to grow up in Alabama to, to and so we're we're talking about poor white kids that didn't have shoes, just as much as poor black kids. Right, but it, it, uh, so once again, I I, I don't want to I don't want to take it too far down that road because it's it's not a Racism is never as simple as racism. Um, it's it's really about a power dynamic, uh, and yeah, those exactly right. those people, uh, even the poor ones, when when their people were in power, they felt like they were okay, and when their people were no longer in power, they felt like they were not okay. Um, it, their circumstances hadn't changed. 
<laughs> from one mm. administration to another. Um, but it's it, but their sense of their power uh, did change a lot. And Trump was definitely a backlash uh, from a certain demographic saying, oh, no, the hell, we're not doing that. <laughs> and so, right. uh, yeah, that's that's kind of how we got him. It sounds to me from what you've just been saying that what needs to change is the definitions of who our tribe is. So the the description of the area that that you were talking about, Andrew, the uniting factor shouldn't have been the colour of the skin. I appreciate it's more complex than that, but it should have been you're all you're all poor. And the people that are ruling you are those with means. And sure. somehow it's that balance that needs to be addressed so that the people who are in that area uh, with your uh, wireless truck, they would have all been on the same side then. So I don't, that's right. I, I don't want to take away from what David is saying. Um, I am, I am uh, in complete agreement that much of this backlash much of this backlash is racial. Uh, and and it's, it's funny because, uh, not, not funny, ha-ha, but funny, ironic. At this time last year, we were talking about the racial division that Trump was cra- uh, causing in the United States. We have ended up in the middle of this global pandemic and, uh, and somehow... Somehow that has uh, fallen out of the eye of the media. I hope, I hope that Joe Biden fulfills his promise to reunite America. By the way, it's never actually been united. It wasn't united in 2008 when Barack Obama took office. It wasn't united in the 60s during the civil rights movement. It wasn't united at the end of the Civil War, this particular division, uh, David, I didn't intend for this to turn into a, a show about racism. Yeah, <laughs> but, no, well, I, but, I didn't either. Uh, and, um, you know, it wasn't united in 1776 either. Um, well, that's exactly right. And, and so, so I just want, I'm going to leave this point, but I don't, look, this problem that we are having is, is, yes, it's, it's Donald Trump. Donald Trump has enabled this problem. But it is, it is an American problem that has been haunting this country for the last 250 years. And what we're discovering is, no matter what laws we put in place, we still have a huge divide in this country, David, you talked about power brokers. That's, that's exactly right. By, by redistributing the power, by changing the face of the power brokers, um, we are attempting to create a kind of equality that we've never had. And it's only this fiction that we've gotten to tell each other uh, uh, up, until, up until 2009, right? Uh, because... Obama took office, and we are not through with the problems identified by Barack Obama's presidency. 
and Donald Trump uh, being the showman that he is, the Hollywood figure that he is, just managed to capitalize uh, on this on this incredibly uh, bitter divide in America. But I want to say again, Joe Biden won the popular vote, guys. I know we all feel some uh, some angst about the future. I share those I share those fears. But Biden won by the same margin that Trump, well, electorally. Biden won by the same margin in 2020 that Trump won in 2016. But, but his carry of the popular vote is much bigger. Right. It, because Trump didn't win the popular vote. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, yes, that Never is. In fact, he lost him. by three million. So <laughs> he, he did not win. So uh, look, let me. Uh, there's so much I want to say about that, but let me wake the Christians up uh, here for a moment um, and and take a giant dump on the notion of religious freedom. So you uh, you brought this up, Andrew. Look, I don't mind. They can't get me. <laughs> so, come at me, bro. David, uh, David, they're, they're, they're just going to make more of a mess in the comments for me to have to cull through. So you're just, you know, you're making my job harder. <laughs> You do such a good job of it. Um, religious freedom. Uh, it's bullshit. So I've always thought it was bullshit, I thought it was bullshit when I was a Christian. Um, I, first of all, I don't need a government. If, if I'm a Christian, Christian hat on for a moment. I don't need a government giving me religious freedom. I didn't get, I didn't get permission for religion from a government. Uh, I, I hope the government did uh, turn against religion. Government was not in favor of Christianity when Christianity first came around. What the, what the hell do you need with religious freedom in a country? Uh, it's, a, it's a nonsense, bullshit idea from the very beginning. Um, and I, I never liked the idea. I never liked the idea that Christians thought that their power to do religion, that their power to do God's will, came from the government somehow. It did not. Um, in fact, Christians were always more powerful when they were actually persecuted. <laughs> that was that was uh, the time for Christians to really be the lights of the world. Uh, and so, uh, just you know, going back to my Christian days, letting you guys know what kind of um, uh, crazy I was. I was the kind of crazy that uh, actually didn't. Uh, approve of the idea of religious liberty. And I didn't think that the government should have anything to say about uh, whether I was religious or not. They could they could rule against Christianity. That wouldn't have bothered me. They could have thrown me in jail. Great. Yay. Uh, I went to jail for Christ. Um, so I, I think it's a bullshit idea. Uh, but more than that, uh, I don't think the Constitution, and look, I'm no constitutional expert, but my reading of the Constitution does not allow for what the popular notion uh, of religious liberty is anyway. What the Constitution does do is it keeps the government from forming a religion or even a de facto religion, which I think it has broken. Uh, so Christianity, can this cannot constitutionally be a Christian nation. It cannot. And yet Christians... And politicians proudly proclaim America to be a Christian nation. 
the very idea of America being a Christian nation is anti-constitutional. You just as well throw that thing up, use it as toilet paper and flush it, uh, this constitution. If if you are touting your, your pride in this being a Christian nation, it is not and it cannot be if the constitution is to mean anything. But more than that, uh, the constitution also doesn't uh, get in the way uh, of the free exercise of religion, but I want you to understand uh, free exercise of religion, at least the way I see it. It's kind of like the freedom of speech. That does not mean you have uh, abs the right to say absolutely anything that you want to without regulation. You do. Uh, it's simply saying that the government is not going to stop you Muslims from uh, being Muslims because you're in America, which may be uh, primarily Christian or majority Christian. We're not going to interfere with your religion and we're not going to uh, promote a religion. We're not going to create a religion. Uh, so be you. But the law is still the law. The law rests on top of of religion. Religion is not equal to the law. Religion is not above the law. Religion is this thing that you are kind of like Seahawks fans, and the law is on top of that. Uh, and so there's nothing in the Constitution that would give your religion somehow equal weight to the law so that you can have some kind of legal alternative to the law, as if you were a government oh. of your own. Um, so yeah, okay. I I will I will stop there. I just I just want to juice this conversation a little bit. Religious liberty, fuck religious liberty. Okay, um, but you can't leave it there because that's part of the point. So we we started there a little while ago. What does Biden need to do about a Supreme Court that has clearly signaled that it will vote on religious grounds? Uh, and and uh, it very much appears uh, trample all over the establishment clause. I don't know. Should Biden should Biden pack the court or shouldn't he? I uh, okay. So you want to go court packing? We're we're just going to throw all this in there. That's fine. Pack the goddamn court. Um, the only reason uh, we have this kind of religious majority in there right now is because the Republicans acted uh, in bad faith uh, yep. in uh, this Lindsey last Graham. Supreme Court appointment. Yep. Lindsey Graham, this fool, this asshole, uh, Lindsey Graham, <laughs> this, I'm sorry, this time um, uh, four years ago, uh, when uh, Obama was going out of the office, he had an opportunity to appoint a judge. Lindsey Graham was hopping around like a monkey saying, you can't do that. You're on the way out. You're a lame duck president. You should let the people speak. Uh, you know, in, in that's code for let the next president uh, appoint the judge. And he also made this uh, statement, this vow, this pledge, that if it ever came to a point where a Republican was a lame duck Republican and it was time to appoint within, you know, a certain number of days of... Uh, uh, an election, he would be against uh, uh, that uh, that president making. Was he against? No, no. Lindsey Graham is a fucking asshat. Um, and by the way, all of the Republicans who thought his nomination was a good idea are fucking asshats. And I mean you, audience members, come at me, bro. Um, this pisses me off. So, and sister, <laughs> this pisses me off. So. 
much. And so, uh, you know, they are, are saying, oh, well, you know, <laughs> they're um, uh, Biden's going to pack the courts. No, you should be uh, where. Of course, he should pack the courts. He should he should put three more um, uh, nominees in there. We have to do a lot of things to balance this playing field. And that's not to say that it has to, you know, I think it actually ought to go to 12. That's not to say that it should stay at 12 forever. You can let a few die off again. You can, you know, there are some things that we can do to balance imbalances. Uh, and packing the court just happens to be one of them. But yes, if uh, because... Uh, the Supreme Court in in this case, uh, because they were put together the way where they were in such a dishonest way, and because now it seems that we have uh, a court that wants to ignore uh, this this um, religious neutrality that the government should have, uh, I do think that there are some proactive things that Biden needs to do. But whether Biden does them or not, I as a I as a citizen and as a podcaster have gone from simply disagreeing with Christianity to wanting to utterly stomp it out at this point, because it's it's just more dangerous now. I it cannot live. Um, Brian, what about it? We just, we just oh, have sorry. more reason. No, I'm not done. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm Look, Brian, what, what do you think, man? Should should Biden pack the court? I mean, look, he, he may get the he may get the chance. Uh, just while the while we were uh, while we were talking here, uh, a Senate seat in uh, Arizona flip from red to blue. Um, so, you know, there's a special election. We, uh, astronaut, uh, what's his name? I can pull it up here. I'll, I'll do it while we're talking. Mark Ellis, is it? Yeah. No. It's Mark somebody, isn't it? It's, it's the, one Mark. of the twin astronauts. I know what he's. That's name right. Is. It's, uh, one of the astronauts. Gabrielle <laughs> Gifford's uh, husband. Right. I'm, I'm going to find him while we're talking. But Mark Kelly. Mark Kelly, Kelly, there you go. Yeah. That's that's Got the it. dude. So should should Biden make an attempt to influence a Democratic Congress, if we have one, to uh, to change the number of justices on the Supreme Court? And by the way, for those listening, it's my understanding that there is no there is no uh, there is no official number of justices uh in the U.S. Constitution, this is a power given to Congress to uh, to set the number of justices on the Supreme Court. And so if the number changes, the Democrats haven't done anything wrong in in the larger sense of, of a, a capital W wrong. So, Brian, what do you think? Yeah, I have I have, you know, conflicting thoughts about this. You know, I absolutely would prefer that we have a more balanced court. I'm not necessarily sure that this is the way to do it because how, how how badly are you talking out of both sides of your mouth to yell and scream at what Trump did with the court on his way out and then you flip the script and just do your own norm busting uh, activity with related to the court. So mm. I, I, I on one hand you can't bring a knife to a gunfight and if the if the GOP is this on their side then you got to come to the fight equally prepared, right? Yeah, but it's but, like affirmative action, though, isn't it, Brian? Uh, affirmative action is a terrible thing uh, in uh, out of context. It, it's the kind of thing that no one would uh, say is a good thing, but you do it mm-hmm. to correct an imbalance uh, that's worse. That's, that's why you do it, and that's why it's okay. Um, 
Right. So. And I can I can also I can ultimately get behind that that sort of thinking. And I would hope the manner in which he did it was more collaborative, more uniting, rather than just saying, you know, I'm gonna pick the most fire breathing lefties I can to, you know, knock Brett Kavanaugh out of his chair. You know, because then well, we should do that then, whether we pack the quarter. Yeah, right. that's, <laughs> that's a different kettle of fish altogether. Uh, but uh, but, you know, w- one thing that this Supreme Court topic brings to my mind is the fact that it's become clear how much norms play a role in American politics and government when people assume it's all just laws. And a lot of what keeps this thing running is norms. And what we did is we had a guy in the office for four years who literally could give two Fs about norms, does not care one whit about norms. And that's why the GOP was happy to wind him up, let him go. They can blame him for his, you know, for his brashness and his grossness and his norm stomping while they sit back and they're happy to get their uh, Supreme Court justices. They're happy as lambs that they got what they want. But they can also, as soon as Trump's out of office, they can denigrate his methods or denigrate his tone. But, but they're laughing their way to the bank. So yeah. I, I, re- I really think we need to find a way to, to find common ground on what the norms are going to be and then make sure we hold both sides accountable. Yeah, that, was, that, that was number nine, the ends justify the means. <laughs> We've so, now, seen so, so much of that. Yeah, as an outside you... observer, watching uh, the Christian right baying and cheering on all this atrocious behavior it's been generally quite depressing. And as I mentioned at the top of the program, I'm surrounded both in my family and in my friends by great Christians, Christians I love, Christians I adore, Christians who share my despair about what I've seen happening over uh, and this whole circus around Trump. He didn't drain the swamp. He just filled it with his own crud. He made it worse. He made it stink worse. And Christians supporting him, You've given Christianity a bad name. You absolutely mm. have. You've got Christians mm. all over the world and in America despising you because of, of what you've done and what you've supported. And you've done it while claiming Trump is God's man, while Biden is actually a better Christian <laughs> than Trump ever could. And you've dismissed Biden and you've dismissed his calmness. And I, people Biden see is this. demonic uh, to these people. He is. And... These people sound like they're deranged. It's, if you're a Christian supporting that, especially if you're a Christian supporting the re- utterly ridiculous conspiracies, there are Christians all over the world who look at you and they shake your head because you, the supporting Christian, are giving the tolerant Christianity around the world, the Christianity that wants to make the world better, you are giving those Christians a bad rap. You are giving those Christians a bad name. If I was at all tempted, to go back to Christianity, you have put me off. You, you really have. You have tainted, you have poisoned Christianity. You have made Christianity deeply unattractive for the thousands, for the millions of Christians around the world who are absolutely desperately trying hard to make the world a better place in your name, and you've ruined it for them. You've killed Matthew, it for them. Would you say yep. that in the UK, I mean, you've probably got your finger on the pulse of that a bit better than I have, but... Um, that generally the Christian Church in the UK just just finds him abhorrent. I mean, it's not. Yeah. I don't. I don't think anybody particularly would support him. You can't see somebody like Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, who's the head honcho in terms of bishops. You know, saying anything but but 
I have, negative yeah. things about him. And same same here. I mean, he's got an all-time low rating in terms of uh, president, um, you know, popularity in Europe. And I looked it up for France. About 83% people think he is aggressive, incompetent, mm. um, and just generally a bit of a loon. Uh, there's a small majority of about eight, nine percent, mostly from the far right. Uh, so we're talking, you know, French Nationalist Party that scarily won 20 percent of the election last time round. And so, you know, Europe has lurched to the right. So this has got nothing to do with politics in terms of partisanship and being conservative or, or left or, or whatever it's to do with. Um, so, you know, we have lurched that way. But even even with that, generally the view of him is incredibly poor i mean the guy has tr has not tried to reach out to any anybody or build bridges he's isolated himself he's immediately you know said that he's going to put um america first i mean i loved macron when he he came back with put the world you know make the world great again rather than make america great mm. again when trump pulled out of the paris uh, agreement uh, climate agreement things so you know it's just people can see that we're in a global uh, it's world and we have to work together whereas he's he's sought to be completely isolationist with so many things it's uh and just generally i think i just think most people see him as incompetent we didn't have a very good view of bush either i mean he came across as a little bit bit mentally challenged but um, you know, God, he's com nothing compared to this this guy. And you can see people like Merkel, you know, who's been the, the chancellor of um, Germany for 20 odd years, who's just her eyes are popping out that she just can't believe she's having to deal with this infantile tangerine that turns up at these summits. You know, it's mm. just it's just incredible. And uh, they just I don't think they really know what to make of him. I think uh, the French are very much like, well, the Americans, it's a part of their life. Uh, they think McDonald's is food. Uh, and they think Disneyland is an ex cultural experience. So, you know, a reality star is what they think too. But uh, we think he's crazy. So, you know, it's just nobody really respects him particularly at all. And so when so we we have news. I mean, I can't I can't think our news station is so biased against Trump that they they they've twisted all the details. That's why I keep saying to our American friends over there who think that you know I'm just reading leftist feminazi news because it's not the case at all. We're reading completely good journalism from the British press, the French press, and nobody's got a good word to say about him. They can see the danger in, inherent in his in his behaviour. And it's almost like, and we just we just can't believe you can't wake up to it. But I did read a really interesting article which talks a little bit about um, the power shifts David was talking about along the cultural line, uh, about the racist lines and things, but also about from the Christian side and ties in with what Matthew was saying about, you know, you're giving Christianity a bad name. And it was actually in Christianity Today and because I was fishing around for some opinions to have, because I know nothing about American politics, um, this was quite, a, I did this little bit of research. It was quite an interesting article saying, there's obviously the Christians on, on one side that are saying Trump is the most amazing thing in the world. And how can you not see him as, as basically Jesus in covered in spam, um, you know, but, uh, or, uh, or, and then just there's the other that just we like... in the U.S. don't think of spam as a good thing. Um, no, it's not. <laughs> but in Hawaii, they do think it's a good Look. thing. So I just, there's... No, the... no, no, he, he looks like a spam. He looks like he's pulled open a spam. Anyway. Look, McDonald's may not be food, but spam is food. I'm just telling you. Uh, <laughs> I, know, I, know. Coco I don't think um, I could be hungry enough. Potted meat. 
It's not me. My mother used to tell me it was dog meat. Nobody should be eating spam. Right. Um, so, so this article was saying that basically um, the ones that have absolutely fallen in love with Trump are the kind of Christians that had this, who had often had quite a lot of cultural influence. And you have had this bizarre and holy alliance between church and state in America, even though you're supposed to have the separation of it. But you have had, you know, these big TV evangelists and uh, a big show of these um, advisors and things uh, to the presidents all the way through. I mean, you've had your, and you big, these guys become quite big names, don't they? In the States, Billy Graham and things like that who came over to the, the UK in the 70s and 80s and things and had these big rallies. But you've had this, they've had these influence, they've had this power and the base that sort of supports Trump is is seeing him as the almost the last uh, thing holding up, you know, issues like abortion and family value, well, family values, yeah, but, uh, but you know, all, all those kind of things. And they essentially think that not voting him in will see a massive decline in their power structure, so especially, and uh, their influence, and just generally, I suppose, will be overrun by transgender latte drinking, you know, bigots or something or whatever they're terrified of. Um, whereas the other base of Christians are much more having seen the Bible as, as, as Christianity as just, you know, little moments of breaking through the kingdom is when you're ministering to people and it's the breaking through of, um, you know, good acts and things like that. And they're less worried about political influence and, um, and power. And they're not worried about the church being, you know, having, having those sort of, uh, privileges. So they're much more about the sort of day to day and they're much more likely to think that the integrity of the person and the integrity of the church is much more important. And so I thought that was quite an interesting way of seeing it because it, it does, it does show why two Christians who've got the same values, the same creeds, the same beliefs, who want the world to be more like Jesus and follow God and all those things, um, how they can have such a differing view where they just see him as Satan or Jesus. And it's, it's, they literally think that not voting him in is the, is the end, is the end of society. I mean, just so you know, the, the Christians on the right think that Christians on the left are fake Christians. So, I mean, it's, um, they've, they've been caught up in this too. It's, it's so polarizing that the Christians have thrown each other under the bus. Um, mm. So it's it's not like they have even a thin veneer of unity no. uh, through all this. Uh, the this ones is, who this were is what opposed this to Trump saying. are fake Christians. Mm. This is what I this just article is saying, that they see it so differently that, um, you know, both at the end of the day want the, the same good, as it were. It, it's the blue-black dress again. They they see it completely differently. So I thought it was just an interesting way of passing the, the, two, the two groups, really. David Johnson. We do have this polarization. Toral College. Respect the votes that have come down per state. And will Biden actually win the election 306 to 232? Two answers. Uh, yes, and I hate the Electoral College. Looks it does strike me as a really bizarre method of voting. You've it's, just added it's, a layer of complexity that's completely unnecessary. Yeah. The U.S. So the U.S. is not a democracy. It is a representative republic, and the electoral college is the vehicle that our forefathers chose uh, to yeah. to yeah, prosecute yeah. our version. It's of, just BS. I'm sorry. Uh, sen uh, senators are uh, national. Uh, uh, 
politicians and they are not elected by some electoral college. You know how they're elected? By the popular vote. Uh, Congress. Well, they're elected by the popular vote, but the number of senators that we have is is actually based on population. Right. No, I'm not. But that's a that's a separate issue. I'm just saying that we managed to put senators in office with a straight up uh, numerical value of votes cast uh, in their favor. Uh, We managed to do that with every uh, level of elected official except for the president. And then somehow, uh, you know, just giving a one to one uh, weight to a person's vote is not good enough. Right. So uh, I don't want to get into all of that history because because frankly that history is as sorted as uh as as everything else about american politics but i will point out it's not sacred and i i just a lot of people think of this stuff as sacred it's not sacred i think it was a bad idea when it was when it first came up it's certainly a bad idea today uh it is it is baffling and uh i suspect that there are many Voters, I'm just going to put a a daily number on this. I'm going. I suspect that at least thirty percent <laughs> of the people who actually vote don't even know about the electoral college. <laughs> so. so I think there's a there's a a problem that we're going to see uh, with the electoral college uh, by 2040. There's some there's some real studies. Some well, some real population projections here um, that that are going to identify a, a problem with the electoral college. We can sort of project and, and see what's going to happen in the next 20 years. Uh, as, as the population of the United States uh, increasingly moves to cities, and as those population densities change, uh, that is reflected uh, in our census. And uh, as, those, as the population shifts to cities, uh, some of these states will have more and more senators, more and more delegate votes uh, based on population density. And the rural part of America in the next 20 years is going to start screaming like never before about lack of representation uh, in Congress. And it, it is going to be a legitimate complaint. We are going to face a constitutional crisis around the electoral college in the next 20 years that is unlike uh, any crisis that we faced before, not in the sense that it's a greater crisis or, or, or less resolvable or anything like that, but it will be a crisis because uh, the face of our representation is going to change in a way that, uh, that rural America will have a legitimate claim uh, to complain about underrepresentation. Well, and j- by the way, uh, for the people who are not in America, who may not understand the Electoral College, uh, just a, a very brief uh, mansplanation here. Um, the, um, so the popular vote is the number of the people who actually vote. And you count those people and you, you, know, you say, uh, this number voted for uh, the Republican, this number voted for the Democrat. Um, and that's, that's the popular vote. And you can say, you know, you can determine who got more votes. That vote does not matter. 
in America. And I don't mean that in some cynical way. I mean, that's not how we elect presidents. It legitimately doesn't matter. It matters to history books. It doesn't matter to who becomes president. The vote that matters to who becomes president is uh, the electoral vote. So each state is assigned a certain number of votes, and a winning president has to get 270 of these special votes. And so currently, currently, um, it is possible for neither candidate to reach 270 in some special circumstances, in which case the Congress uh, steps in. So there's there's some uh, pretty wild contingencies uh, out there. But the thing to just the thing to realize is that each state is assigned a certain number of votes. So uh, a state like uh, Pennsylvania has 26 votes. And Georgia has, I want to say, 16, 16 votes. That's correct. Uh, and but it's based on population. That is why our census is critical, and that is why Donald Trump is attempting right now to throw out any person living in the United States who is not a citizen as a vote cast for president, because that will that will. Uh, change the reflection of representation in terms of how money is distributed and in terms of uh, electoral delegates, because those are based completely on population. And heavily populated areas tend to be Democratic. Uh, Uh, Like uh, 10 million people is one. No, that can't be right. Is it a million people is one delegate? There's a real number there, and I can't remember what it is. But But there is one more thing. Lots of states... Uh, now have a rule that the popular vote in that state uh, reflects the uh, who will be given the delegates when uh, when the electoral college count is uh, is made. Right. right. That's why we so count this by states. Right. This is why we count it by states, though, and and they say, okay, this state has gone to this. So it's uh, there. This there's one other little technicality to help people understand. We do not have a single national election to elect a president. Uh, That does not exist. It has never existed. Uh, We have 50 local elections to elect a president. That's that's what we have. And every state has different rules. (laughs) And even counties within the states have different rules. That was the problem in Texas, Houston County versus uh, other parts of the state and what happens with drive-up voters and all of that sort of thing. Right. And so what might be legal in Pennsylvania may not be legal in Georgia uh, when it comes to voting and absentee ballots and things like that. And once again, the different counties have different rules. And this is why there is such a uh, deal to say, well, who is the president? Because the counties have to report to the state by a certain time. And each county has to certify their votes, and then the state gets those votes, and they have to certify their votes, and then they go to the uh, uh, electoral uh, 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 college, and then those votes have to get certified. And so you think that it's all over when the voting is done. That is not true. Uh, all of this has to be compiled, and every step of the way has to get its own certification. And there are all kinds of little ways where uh, that can go wrong. And those are the areas where Trump is working now to try to uh, say, well, it doesn't matter what the votes were. Uh, 
uh, we still have a path uh, to victory. To victory. Which is technically, technically true. So yes or no, the electoral college map. Uh, sorry, the electoral college vote will perfectly mirror uh, Biden's wins per state. Yes. Or will there be some? Okay, so you say yes, um, Brian. Yes or no? Uh, no, it will not be exact, but it will be insignificant and minor. Uh, in, in 2016, there were 10 faithless electors, ones that didn't vote for who they were supposed to vote based on their state. Uh, but there was no switching across party, right? Like, so people that were supposed to vote for Clinton didn't vote for Trump. They voted for some other Democrat. And a couple that were supposed to vote for Trump voted for, you know, Ron Paul and uh, somebody else. I think the governor of Texas, maybe. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think that this avenue is at all the risk of, a, of Trump succeeding in, in stealing the election. So uh, Biden wins, but not by 270. Uh, sorry, yeah, not by 306. Yeah, but it, it'll be like 302 or, you know, three, it'll, it'll likely be north of 300. It won't be anything to worry about. Interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. I think it, in this day and time with so many people watching, I think faithless electors... Uh, will have a much harder time uh, than in the past. And I think that, for instance, if there was any state that shifted their votes, uh, that that took votes for uh, Biden and gave them to Trump, I think it would start a shooting war. I honestly think it would. And in fact, I would not be opposed to it, uh, to be perfectly clear. Uh, I think that we are already in civil war. I simply call it a cold civil war. Uh, and so what are the kinds of triggers that can make it a hot civil war? I think one of those triggers would be blatantly uh, in front of everyone just saying uh, your elections don't matter anymore. And I think that that's what would happen with faithless electors this time around. That's why I think that it will be 306, because I don't think that anyone wants to spark the civil war. Sarah, regardless of, of what happens, uh, it, it, when, when Biden becomes president, uh, so, so I don't think uh, Trump does have a, a path to victory. I, I, think that's as, uh, I, I think that's as much hot air as uh, Trump's insistence that there's no global uh, climate change, right? There's, there's, not, there's not a path to victory for Trump here. It's not going to happen. But would you ever... Will you ever trust the institutions of the United States? Matthew, I, I want you to answer too. Will either of you ever trust uh, the United States uh, if you did before 2016? Can Biden bridge the gap again and uh, put the U.S. In, in its former position in your mind, whatever that was. I think if, if your institutions hold out for now and, you know, the, the governor's certifying and, uh, I mean, I don't know exactly the process, but, you know, the, the thing's getting thrown out in court and uh, it's all, you know, looking like it's being dealt with correctly, that I think you can, you can recover the situation. If you don't, I, I really don't know what's happening. And this is what I can't understand, that the people even who may support Trump for some of his fantastic ideologies um, 
can can't see i mean how can they not see that this is so serious what he's doing he's just he's just dealing with it with so little respect it's it's just terrifying it's just like do you people not read history do you not see what tyrants do it's like but, i don't but know Sarah, they, they think that we're the tyrants uh, you know i don't want to i don't want to bring up Dale in a terribly derogatory way because I let it be known. I, I love Dale as a brother. Um, he is uh, at times batshit crazy, uh, but aren't we all? Uh, but he does represent a larger voice than him. And so I think that when people are having conversations with Dale on the board and thinking, oh man, he's going nuts. No, he's, he's going mainstream. Um, it, it, it is, uh, in fact, a mainstream view. And Dale was calling you, uh, I believe, uh, I, I saw one post where you were uh, called a terrorist. Yeah. Uh, this, is, this is what they think about you. And, and you're saying, but don't you, don't you see what's happening? And they're saying, oh, yeah, we see what's happening. But you are the authoritarian. You, uh, and this is this is why I am filled with such despair. Because when you have um, when you have a Hitler twirling his mustache, and then his supporters are looking at the Jew and saying, "You see the problem there, right?" <laughs> yeah, you know that's that's how this happens. Uh, and I don't, uh, I don't know that there's anything that Biden can do to bring us back from that. I mean, he may get he may get France to trust them, but you know, it's he doesn't make this other faction go away and this other faction is in control of the Senate uh right now. And uh maybe by the next uh 2 years they'll be in control of the house. I think you're underselling how the rest of the world sees uh, America from certainly from what I see and it's certainly how I feel is there is a lot of hope in Biden, I don't think it's misplaced either. Biden is trusted and Biden is respected, not just by yeah. France, but by a huge chunk of the world. He has he comes from the Obama School of Presidency. The world loved Obama. The world is going to love Biden. You have nothing to worry about mm. outside of your borders on that. And I, I mean that absolutely He's seen genuinely. He's a, a safe pair of hands, and definitely. I think yeah. the problem you have is in four and eight years' time, whoever the Republicans put up uh, against Democrats, that person is going to be judged by the rest of the world on the Trump legacy. And that person is going to have to be fucking awesome Ooh, see, in order see, for no. you guys to be respected by the rest you, of the world. You know that Trump okay. is talking about uh, announcing his <laughs> no. run during the inauguration. The world is laughing into their hands at the, the thought of that. It, okay, it, it really is. They think it's a preposterous idea. They should be crying do, in do, their beer. Do the American public know that we had protests in the UK? I don't think we've ever done oh, that yeah. for a, for a uh, an American president. We had an inflatable he, some baby. Of us, some of us, he came some over of us, and yeah. and said that everybody loved him. And there were... He's been saying we, that uh, non-stop. Just yeah, like but, I mean, been, it was just been saying so how he won the black vote. Yeah, it's except just, that's a, that's a He's still it's saying not... he won the black vote. Except <laughs> in all of the except in all of the big cities where black populations were, he won the black vote. <laughs> <laughs> so but okay, we had we had literally school kids. I mean, a Trump in English is 
is to pass wind. That's why it's the fact is called it's, it's a fart, basically. So we had kids who had signs that said, no smelly Trump allowed. And Trumps are better out than in. We had other people who held signs that said, feed him to the corgis. And others that said, Dick Queen, don't offer him the good biscuits. And, and other people who came out with, he probably doesn't even like tea. Okay. All and right, we Matthew. Had Scottish saying, safe visit. We say you can eat, you big orange fanny. And Donald I tell Trump, you what, you're shite. <laughs> you you have you haven't been scorned until you've been scorned by a posh British school kid. I tell you, you you, you had me at don't offer him the good biscuit. <laughs> I know we had some fantastic and unlike Marmite. I don't know if you know about Marmite, but Marmite's like this Vegemite stuff. It's a it's a funny weird spread in the UK that I thought that was a little hate. mammal, a marmot. That's, That's a marmot. A veggie spread and people either hate it or, or love it. And it's been a bit their brand. They kind of say, you know, it's like Marmite. You either hate it or you love it. And it's and it, another banner read, unlike Marmite, we all actually hate you. <laughs> we will overcome supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, sexist, nasty potus. We just had the best signs, the very best signs. Okay, look, Andrew. So, see, see, uh, Gotta know, Matthew. The, the 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 problem is the problem is is for most of Trump's supporters, the fact that he's protested in England is a feature, not a bug. Right. They're like fantastic, right. making wow. America great again. Who so, cares what those people think? And that's no. I mean, it, it, it's what perpetuates the whole thing. They're like so, KFC uh, has the good biscuits, you wankers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, next, yeah, Ma was an immigrant. Your absolute roaster. Matthew, Matthew, the next question comes to you, sir. Yeah. Uh, it, there is there is no um there's no secret on the world stage that Trump has uh Trump has some legal challenges facing him after inauguration. Yeah, I, I know it's uh yeah, it's a big big secret uh, all all of you folks that voted for Donald Trump, uh you weren't able to save him. Okay. So Matthew, he's going to face legal challenges. Uh, will Trump be convicted of some crime substantial enough to prevent his candidacy for 2024? That would be nice. But I think because of what David said earlier about uh, repercussions, I think repercussions on Trump will be light, if at all, for the sake of keeping the peace. And maybe that's the right thing to do. And I'm saying that metaphorically holding my nose, because if he's done crimes, and we know he has done crimes, then he should be properly investigated. But I think the deep uncomfort internally in America that will happen as a result of that is possibly not worth the risk, but I don't know if I'm really the right person to ask that question. The, the point that I was leading up to earlier, though, before somebody or other interrupted me, is the Christians that have supported Trump and supported bad tactics that have happened and, and have cheered on Trump while he's been doing what he's been doing and literally raping your political system. If you have it's not always pushed back, oh, sorry. if... <laughs> 
<laughs> when hey, there will be pushback. Allegations. It's nothing yeah. between friends. There will be pushback, <laughs> and the pushback is deserved. If this, if uh, Scotus gets gets filled out, you have no leg to stand on. You asked for it. You deserved it. You brought those coals uh, upon yourself, and I think you're just going to have to deal with it. I think the problem that I worry about, and it's gone through my mind multiple times over the last few months, is somebody's going to pull out a rifle with a scope on it, and somebody high profile is going to take the bullet. And that worries me. And it worries me from yeah. sitting on this side looking across at America. And I, I do genuinely fear that somebody's going to do that. And I do worry about what the consequences of, of that will be. Matthew, you uh, have mirrored uh, a conversation that Andrew and I had, and uh, for the record, you expressed all of my views, which were correct. Um, the only difference we had is, uh, as far as the bullet goes, I don't actually fear it. Um, so <laughs> this is well, the way I, I this fear is an area because... where Andrew and I uh, agree. No, we don't. We don't disagree that the, that it might come. We're just not afraid of it. <laughs> so, just not, not a yeah. not the worst outcome. Gotta tell you. Um, but I did. I was actually on your side, uh, Matthew. Just to be clear, I think it would be a bad. Even if it wasn't Trump. Even if we hadn't gone through Trump, I think it's a bad thing to. Uh, he deserves it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, it absolutely deserving, deserved deserving it. doesn't matter. I, th I think that it's wrong in a tradition kind of way, not in a legal way, to put a president, a, a living president, in jail. And I, I just, I think that that would do more harm than you think the justice would do. Would do. Put him in jail afterwards when you investigate him and you realize he hasn't paid taxes. Because and we, still and call, we still call former presidents Mr. President. Uh, it is, it is in, in a sense, a lifetime appointment. They only have the house for four years, but they have the title forever. So I am, I am going to, Brian, I want you to answer this, but I am, I am going to tell the listeners what I told David. I think that if, I think that if the U.S. idea of justice is going to mean anything around the world, if we are not going to be a banana republic, if we're not going to be like those Middle Eastern countries that crushed the Arab Spring, if we are not going to be a banana republic, if Crump, if, if Trump, if Trump committed crimes worthy of jail I think he has to go Brian what do you think yeah I, th I think I think David identified correctly what tradition and why that tradition has been the, the way it has been up until now but I think I think Trump flipped the board over and he's and he's also plant he's, he wants to run again right so he's probably going to run in the next election I do not think that that tradition should be what stops us from prosecuting him. Uh, however, I think it'll be largely moot because I think either he'll pardon himself or he'll resign the day before inauguration and have Pence pardon him. So I actually don't think we're going to be able to get him for federal stuff. However, he's going to be mired in corruption, financial, tax evasion. There's stuff outside 
of the federal jurisdiction that he's going to be litigating for years and years and years after this is over. Unfortunately, no one will care because it, for a regular politician, if you're that corrupt and that, uh, you know, that sued, et cetera, that you, you can't run because no one will vote for you. But he's clearly shown that that's not the case with him. So, and that's I the other we can... thing. We're we're at a, we're at the cost. We're in civil war. It's just a matter of whether we shoot or not. And you've got uh, half of the country who are radically behind uh, Trump. So, just in in practical terms, Trump in handcuffs is gets the first shot fired. Oh, you uh, made me so happy saying that. I know. <laughs> but it, <laughs> It's it's it, it's yep. not a good outcome. And, you know, if you say, well, you know, put him in a federal prison, you're still going to have to make special accommodations because you're talking about a president. You're not going to put him in a population uh, of, of criminals. Simply not going to happen. Right, but that he's hasn't going, been part of the conversation. I'm just what? saying he, he's still going to have some kind of what you would call very special circumstances. Uh, okay. That would not apply to anyone else. And so if what you're saying is, well, you know, justice for one is justice for all kind of thing, it still won't look like justice. Uh, and so I don't I don't think that there is any benefit in in going down that road. I think there is a chance back against that. I think there's a great chance of I think there's a great chance of some kind of public humiliation. You will. He will go too far in something and something legal will hit him. And that the consequence of that will be disqualification from something either from political office, office and or some kind of uh, company holding or something like that. And Andrew, he'll wanted... spend the rest of his life fighting against that. But the yeah. humiliation will be complete then. Andrew, I wanted to give you a chance to uh, finish that thought, though, because I know that you wanted to... Uh... Uh, yeah, briefly. So, I mean, having had this conversation, I know what you want to save, so I just want to give you a chance to well, say it on the fight. Yeah, no, so look, we have a responsibility to ourselves to uphold our best values. And, and whether Trump gets some sort of special treatment behind bars because he was a former president and we don't want, uh, you know, we don't want the inmates to... Uh, you know, to, to teach him dirty inmate tricks. Nobody is going to do that to Donald Trump. I mean, the in, inmates have standards. But here's the problem that we face. We are damned if we do and damned if we don't. Because if Donald Trump is not held accountable for his actions, we remain the laughing stock of the fucking planet because we have allowed him to savage every sacred institution in our government. I asked this question on the board. What thing could Donald Trump possibly do given the things that he has been that he has done that we're positive that he's done? What thing could he possibly do to lose his base? The answer to that appears to be nothing. Mm. But that is not the same question as whether Donald Trump has to face justice in the American justice system. And by not making him face it, we remain a laughingstock. Whether a shot is fired in anger, they've already been fucking fired in anger. 
And from my perspective, my friend, the, the American justice system has been a laughing stock for a very, very long time. And that's it not my problem. Yes, it has. Trump. Right. But this is Brian said it best. Trump has flipped the script. This is not a normal. This is not a normal presidency. It is not a normal handover. This is this is not Watergate. This is so far beyond Watergate that the whole world. Look, Sarah said they were holding protests against Trump in other countries, and for him to not face the consequences of his actions should make us the laughing stock. So. Let me uh, let me start to round us out uh, just for the sake of time. Uh, Andrew, thanks for um, bringing the topics. I don't think we've exhausted them, but I, I want to actually close us out with one. Um, Can I ask topic. a question before you close out? Sure. Have you guys, it's changing the subject very slightly, but it's still on the same sort of theme. That's right. You... I've got another whole subject. And so <laughs> right, okay. this is not, these are not the closing comments. These are... Oh, right. okay. Sorry. So I can I just want to make sure that I, I want to make sure I get to. Okay. This. You do that. And then I'll ask my question. Okay. Uh, well, write it down, hang on to it. Um, because I want to, I want to return uh, the attention to something that Andrew and I started to talk about, but we didn't get any uh, payoff on. And it's, it's been on my mind for a while. And so I'm going to try to cram this conversation in with coronavirus, uh, which we have not mentioned uh, since we've been online. It's uh, on the list. Yeah. Uh, look, um, Tara, I haven't forgotten about you. I know you're there. Um, so uh, the subject uh, has to do with an aspect of coronavirus and masks. Uh, for the record, there's, there's no question uh, or to me, anyway, I would rather see the entire country shut down. I would rather see um, jobs lost, restaurants closed, uh, and the economy go into a state of depression uh, than to see uh, thousands upon thousands of people just dying off in an attempt to get some kind of brute force herd immunity for a virus that will kill and ultimately mutate. Um, uh, I really believe that if we if we went that way, the virus would actually be worse because we wouldn't be dealing with the same virus uh, before long. But I think that's one of the just a very cold uh, and callous approach to it. And I understand the human costs. I, I really do. And I don't like them. Um, in either way, some people are going to die. I understand that too. And I guess I have made my choice that I would rather people die from depression uh, and, we, and we can manage that number better than people dying from a heartless virus. So that said, I just wanted to get my position out there. I do understand that there's room for debate there. But the thing that, the thing that I have been thinking about and I don't have any response uh, is how should we consider um, the Christian perspective here? Because this is not just a mask, no mask uh, argument. This is a Christians 
have a God-given duty, a right and duty to with one another uh, in unfettered fellowship. And, and when they don't, they suffer some real spiritual consequences. Uh, I, I don't necessarily want to talk about spiritual consequences because that's bullshit. But what they call spiritual consequences, I think that we can identify as real mental health consequences. And so there's a question of um, how much do we need to care about that? And what can we do about that rather than just being dismissive uh, of it? And so I don't want to dismiss anyone's mental health issues uh, because they are citizens of this world. They're humans and their well-being matters to me. Uh, it just gets all clogged up when we start talking about it in hyper-religious spiritual terms. So if we can if we can get past that, I would like to hear from this panel of skeptics about how how much we should care about the quote unquote spiritual well being of our Christian uh, friends and family members and um, fellow citizens, and what can we do about that in 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 something that seems to be fair and sane. sane. Yeah, I don't think it's a thing here. Um, the only people who seem to protest that they can't meet are the hunters. Um, so they're uh, and they're the ones that are armed. So we uh, we've had to allow them to to meet up to uh, do a bit of culling of some of the animals. Uh, this is when we weren't allowed to go more than a meter, uh, a, a kilometer from our house. Um, so they were allowed to roam free with guns, which uh, seemed a little unfair. But um, no, I mean it's I mean yes, okay, I understand freedom of religion and things doesn't doesn't means that we, you understand these people want to meet they want to they want to do their fellowship and singing or whatever um that's not not an issue but we're in a in extraordinary circumstances and everybody has been forbidden for mixing with their friends and gathering they're not being singled out it's it applies to everyone now you know as it was we, as we know some people don't agree with it as a general uh, idea this lockdown but they're not being singled out so i, I don't understand why they've got a, a special case or, or anything we'd all like to go and meet with our friends and i, I obviously want to go to my witch's coven and you know boil a few babies but i can't so you have to i was hoping that would come out uh, that, that really complicates it's, the matter um there have been protests about it in in the uk there are christians increasingly getting noisy about wanting to go to church and as i said earlier okay. those that i know that are personal to me they all think they're batshit you know the christians i know the christian i know personally they don't see why it's necessary because there's a bigger calling out here and that calling is the welfare of the nation and the welfare of our neighbor as the good samaritan would indicate so if you're one of those christians listening who thinks that it's your right to go to church well <laughs> i'm sorry i don't know why i should care because if you think that's more important and then you are putting other people's health and other people's well-being over over your own feel good and i don't think that matters and i don't think you count i think you should just grow up frankly right brian, so, you, brian strikes me as a man who has a heart maybe we should hear from brian <laughs> I, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't I, I don't i don't know if i can drop as many f-bombs uh, as, <laughs> as i heard coming to this but uh no i 
I, I'm extremely, yeah, sorry I'm, about I'm extremely those. Cons- Apologies. No, no, no. Listen, we the family friendly rating went tent. out the window, man. I'm sorry. For this the is a big tent. Yeah. Well, I, I, I feel, I feel for the mental health well-being of Christians in the same way that I do any other person of religious persuasion or otherwise, right? I, 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 I feel empathy and sympathy for them. Um, but what I, what I don't respect is again. Not letting you gather in groups of hundreds in a synagogue is not the same thing as telling you you cannot have free exercise of your religion. Absolutely. You can, you can do that same thing on Zoom. You can do that same thing in a giant outside park, right? Like we're not telling you to not worship. We're saying don't go in a building with the windows closed with a bunch of other people breathing on each other. And, and, and to conflate that with free exercise of religion is just – it's a category mistake. And I think yes, that um, in, uh, in Judge Sotomayor's dissent in the Supreme Court ruling, I, th- I thought she, she nailed it. She said, scientific ignorance is what's driving the rights uh, uh, vote on this. And it's not, uh, it's not about religious expression or First Amendment rights. It's just about not understanding what a global pandemic is and how it spreads. So I, 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 can, I can feel bad that you miss going to church. But, you know, I miss going to football games. You know, my kids miss going to school five days a week. It's sorry, we have to make sacrifices because we're all in this big blue ball together. Right. Should, we, should we not just not let them go? At not caring about uh, people's mental health issues. I absolutely care that coronavirus is, is devastating people mentally and emotionally. In fact, Japan just suffered its worst month of suicides in the country's history. And more people suicide in Japan last month than the whole country lost to coronavirus in all of 2020. I am, I am not without sympathy for those people who uh, are feeling a loss of community uh, a loss of connection to the important people around them as a result of coronavirus. But to blithely wave coronavirus away and to pretend like we can, uh, we can get together en masse without consequence is, is, is horribly reprehensible because why? That's how 270,000 people in the United States died. It's because we forgot about social distancing restrictions. So if your God is testing your faith by pitting that against the the safety and health of the people around you, then you should question your commitment to God. Look, Matthew, you were you've been trying to um, yeah. There's, there when I get to that, it's um, it was going to be a question, but it's going to be a statement now. The alternative is we let all the Christians go to church, and let's paint that scenario. What will then happen? Many more people will die. Older people, frail people, people who are immune uh, compromised or very descriptions. Healthy people will catch it. And then they'll suffer what is being called long COVID. We'll probably come up with a different name for it in in months or years to come. There will be a very significant health impact on a huge number of the population. And that will be pointed directly at churches. What will happen then? The rest of the country will hate Christians. 
and you'll become less popular and people will start burning churches as a result. That is what will happen if we let Christians go to churches. And Christians, you don't want that. And I certainly don't want that. So just think this through. Have a little bit of long sightedness here, because if you do defy or if the government decides to let you have your special case, there will be consequences and you will hate those more. Can I uh, offer a an alternative? Um, a solution? You? I don't. Well, probably not. But I, I, <laughs> I have a thought. Um, so uh, Dale was suggesting uh, to someone on the board this week um, that, you know, you should, uh, you know, Christians should be allowed to go to church and do what they want to. And if you, I think he was talking to uh, Anthony 66, but uh, he was saying, if you uh, feel unsafe, uh, you should stay home. You should order your groceries. Uh, you should... Uh, you know, do uh, do all of the things that restrict you and keep you safe uh, while we uh, move about freely. And my suggestion would actually be something very similar to that, but in reverse. Uh, and so I'm just wondering if it is uh, at all feasible to let Christians meet to give them a special badge. You know, we we get to meet in large groups. Uh, and fellowship because we're Christians, and, and let them seriously let let them go to let them go to church, have fellowships. Uh, go without I'm masks, laughing. And I'm laughing and, about the badge because you can't get them to wear masks. What makes you think you'll get them to put on a badge? Well, it will be the sign. It will be the mark of the beast. At that point. we've got an injection with a microchip ready to go. So what's wrong with that? You, you brand it right on the side of their face so that they'll have to put a mask on. But um, no, I'm, I'm so, serious. Look, it's a, it's a great idea, but but I'm serious. Do you, do you honestly think let, that you can get them to say look, there, was, there was a nurse out in a, a medical system out in California. They have just put her on administrative leave because she put up a TikTok video uh, saying if, if my colleagues only knew. What I do outside of work, that I don't social distance, that I let my kids go on play dates, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, do you really think that you could trust the larger population? But let me let me let me finish this thought uh, so that we can, so that uh, this can have the context that it needs to. Um, I don't. I'm I'm just asking if if such a system might be possible to allow people to meet in these special group type meetings it doesn't have to just be church people you know maybe it's you know the, the lions club meetings or whatever and then what you do if you have this special certification for meetings is you have to quarantine um otherwise you know so you you get to go to your meeting you can't ride public transportation uh, but you can drive to your meetings, you can do your meeting things, you can drive home, and you can stay home. And uh, as a as a citizen, I think I would be okay with that if, uh, you know, because then the, the risk of them contaminating <clears throat> something outside of their group is very minimal at that point. And so it just becomes a matter of enforcement. But I'm just saying, if there was some way to get Christians to agree to do that, uh, would that be a possible solution to, um, you know, fighting off this this 
demonic oppression that they're feeling. I see no way to make it work because the, the next thing that's going to happen is, so, so let's just pretend that you got this implemented, right? And you said, okay, so uh, they're, they're all carrying, uh, you know, the mark of 19, right? They, they, they all carry their, they all carry their, their special badge or their, or their uh, you know, or they've got some sort of tracker in their cell phone or, or, or however you implement it. They're wearing a goddamn Krauss. You can you can <laughs> spot them a mile away. Oh, I, I see the thorns are actually bent into a nineteen. Tattoo John three sixteen on their forehead. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so don't they all don't they all have halo? They're, halo they're halo happy halo. to self-identify. <laughs> okay, right. But here's so I'm I'm serious. Here's the real problem that I see. The next thing that will happen when an employer says, "Sorry, you can't come into the office because you were at church yesterday." Is someone will say, well, you're, you are impacting my right to work because of my exercise of religious freedom. And if you think that's not going to happen, you're not keeping up with the crazy. Sure. I, I think that that would happen in many cases. I'm just trying to come up with a theoretical alternative that could work. If they're real concerned, there's no way, there's you, no way it could possibly work. I'm pointing out why this theoretical alternative won't work. I'm not, I'm not opposed to theoretical alternatives. I'm trying to come up with one with you that will work. Well, in, an, in another uh, possibility, that, uh, I, I even hate to throw this one out there, but I'll just go ahead and put it out there because I had to brain fart at the same time as the other one, um, <laughs> is... Uh, Christians can do what crazy cults have been doing since time immemorial and just uh, establish compounds uh, and live there. Don't don't leave. Uh, you will find plenty of Uber drivers uh, willing to drop food off at the door of the compound. Uh, you can you can get all of your needs taken care of, but if you want to be in a fellowship COVID sharing uh, group, do that. But there. It seems that the Christian is not uh, particularly concerned about the, um, you know, the, the uh, d demonic forces uh, taking advantage of them because they can't fellowship. It seems they want more than that um, because if, if these if these ideas would not be satisfactory, to them, then I think that what we revealed is there's there's something else going on, especially since Christians thought it would be such a good idea if they had all of the freedom and everyone else was locked up because they were walking around spreading disease. Well, that's the, what they want. That's the freedom they want because they think themselves special and they shouldn't be treated special. End of. Yep. Okay. 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 Uh, Einstein's uh, <laughs> panel. Where, where, what is your solution, Sarah? What is your solution? Oh, just reduce the crazy over there. We're just we don't have these sort of problems. We're in the middle of a pandemic. The government has said the certain things. That's it. Do what you've been told, which will make Tara apoplectic. Me saying that, but um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't understand why. It's you know, it's everybody's making sacrifices right now, and it's only for hopefully uh, not too much longer. I know the impacts are are bad, and I know that the situation for health, uh, mental health, and things is is serious. Um, and uh, you know, the, the sooner they can lift restrictions, it, it will be good. But I don't know. They they don't need to meet in the built in a closed building to to worship. Worship isn't 
is a way of life anyway. So it's but, not just. But according to them, they do because it is a part of what uh, constitutes assembling uh, themselves together. So that does not, in fact, include Zoom meetings and things like that. There is a power of the spirit in the physical location uh, in proximity. Well, uh, Brian. I suggest they travel and go and see some persecuted Christians that are stuck in prisons or something who can't do those kind of things. It's just, it's Brian, just. Brian, you have a heart. Uh, surely <laughs> you also have a solution. They remember they laughed me off the panel, so I hope you can do better. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, no, didn't I, laugh. still, I, I feel like I'm still being laughed off the panel. So uh, I didn't no. laugh. <laughs> I was laughing with you, not at you. I want to make oh. sure. <laughs> I love you dearly, David. It feels remarkably similar. (laughs) Actually, maybe I did laugh. (laughs) The the other, unfortunately, David, the the other trouble with your solution is if we let all the Christians go and assemble and go to church, then that's going to thwart the flattening of the curve strategy, right? All these Christians are going to get COVID and get it terribly, and they're going to be crashing the hospital system. So you see that as a, a bug, and the skeptics see it well, as a feature. <laughs> so it, that is, it, it, it I will is. say that Brian is right that I have not considered the effect on the hospitals. I've simply said, well, let them die if they want to die. But that's, it's never that simple. There is no path to let them die if they want to die. Right. The hosp- once but, the hospital systems are overwhelmed, it's over for everybody. We're all but with the branding idea, if it's on the forehead, then when they come into the... Okay, no, it's too much. Well, could it, could it be like <laughs> six, six... Uh, never mind. It's Anyway, we'll work on it. We'll, we'll workshop the brand. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what Maybe is Maybe put it the, in the palm look, of their hand and... Isn't, <laughs> isn't the real problem here? Isn't the real problem here? that we are talking about a Bronze Age religion that didn't have a theory of disease that matched with reality. Isn't the real problem here that this God that we are talking about made no provision for this kind of situation? And and shouldn't that tell us something about the nature of this supposedly all-knowing, all-loving, all-present God that that works out human problems to uh, to the advantage uh, of of his people. I mean, isn't the real problem here that we're dealing uh, with a God who simply apparently didn't know about viruses and germ spread and social distancing? Isn't that the real problem? So he did. He just didn't share it. With with oh. that, with that, I am going to ask everyone to consider your uh, final thoughts uh, as this discussion has gone way past my supper time, um, and I'm very hungry uh, now, and I have to pee. Uh, so, with that, <clears throat> let's uh, let's start. Is this a proper wind up up now then? Because I've got still it's, got that question I wanted to ask. Well, you you will be able to ask your question. Um, I just I want to get the order of the closing comments uh, set up so that we don't have these awkward silences where everyone backs up and and leaves one person standing. And that's who's got the comments. So let's just figure this out. Matthew, uh, you won't be first. That's okay. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) That's fine. Not this time. Not this time. I, I know how much you hate it. Uh, in the superhero show, you will be first every time there's a first. Um, there will be no mercy. 
Uh, <laughs> you you barely got back on that show, my friend. Oh, my uh, answer will be Doctor Who, just so you know in advance. Just, so, <laughs> That's um, not a superhero. So <laughs> sorry. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to do things a little bit differently, Andrew. I'm going to ask you to start the closing comments, and I will follow uh, after you, uh, followed by uh, Brian, then Matthew, then Sarah. You will have the very last. Uh, so in that order, Matthew, you had a question that has been burning. It has been burning through me. your skin. So let it let it out. Give birth. This is a hot potato in the UK at the moment. Do you guys know who Ansicoulis is? Not a clue. Not yeah, a clue. That's, it sounds like a wine cooler. Guessing guessing that's a person and not an animal in the zoo. It's it, it's it's a person. <laughs> okay. So it sounds like a fungus. Like Zima. And. <laughs> I'm is this a better out than Ian joke? Is that what this <laughs> no, is? no, no. I'm disappointed that you guys don't know who Antikoulis is. Now, Antikoulis is a wife. I don't even of a... know where the UK is on a map, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Antikoulis is the wife of a United States military intelligence officer. And they were at an army base here in the UK. And a year ago, she drove out of her army base, drove on the wrong side of the road, and killed a teenager on his motorbike. Right. And then she was advised by her superiors to immediately leave the UK and go back to the UK, back to the USA. Uh, before which time the police now, basically, long story short, the UK is now seeking uh, extradition for her to come back to the UK to, to face uh, the consequence of her actions, which has been blocked by your administration. Is, is there any hope that that... So, well, you guys don't know much about the case because you didn't even know who she was. So my question was going to be, is there any hope that that situation could change in the new administration? Okay, I did know. Uh, I didn't recognize her name, Matthew, and I'll integrate the question into my final thoughts here. Uh, I did follow that, and uh, it's pretty clear that, that she was uh, entirely at fault. Um, and I don't know. I don't know whether the Justice Department under Biden uh, will behave differently because it's a it's a long standing policy in the United States to not turn our citizens over to uh, to any foreign government, even our closest allies. I will say uh, that she should be turned over. Uh, there was there was some attempt at diplomatic immunity, I think, if I, if mm. I remember the story correctly. Uh, and anyway, uh, should should she be turned over? I don't know what it means to have allies. I don't know what it means to have close allies, uh, allies on which our financial systems, our governmental systems, our our systems of ethics interdepend. If when we kill each other, we can't be subject to each other's authority in a meaningful way. So should she be sent back? Uh, I have to say yes, but I don't think it'll happen. Likewise, I should probably apologize to some of the Christians who will uh, who will listen? Some of the language was a little off. It's a little rough around the edges. Um, some of it was intentional. 
you really should. You really should question a commitment to a God that would cause you to follow someone like Donald Trump. I challenge you. I challenge any one of you to open your Bible in the best tradition of what you think biblical heroes are and find any one of them that looks like Donald Trump, that looks like a biblical hero that you would be told about in Sunday school. Now, I happen to think uh, that Bible characters are just as flawed as the rest of us. But it's not my story. The biblical, the biblical characters that, that have the ideals that you promote don't look anything like Donald Trump. And I'm not sorry for savaging that idea. And if you think I should be, then there's room for, dis, uh, for a difference of opinion, and we should sit down and have a talk about it. Because Donald Trump, he's at the top of a hill. But I promise you, it is not the one you want to die on. And neither do any of the rest of us. Okay, um, I will jump in uh, to your uh, question, uh, Matt. Uh, extradition treaties are complicated, like uh, all things diplomatic. Uh, I don't understand the diplomatic world at all, uh, so I am deeply offended by the idea of diplomatic immunity, uh, for instance. Uh, so a diplomat can uh, go to your country uh, rape three women, get drunk, and run over a family of six. They cannot be prosecuted. <laughs> so, um, you know, we talk about the rule of law. I don't even know what that means. Uh, we have so many uh, loopholes around that. And um, when it comes to diplomacy, you know, I don't know. Uh, as you told the story, your country sent her back here. Now they want her back. What's the diplomatic right thing to do? No idea. No clue. Um, what I what I do feel is that the rules around diplomacy are as far into what the average person thinks of as right and wrong as it can be. And so there are some other rules governing this process. And so I, I feel highly unqualified uh, to speak about uh, the process. Uh, I, I just I don't know. Uh, so. Uh, I think I think where I'll end this is maybe an exploration, or at least for me anyway, I'll end it with an exploration of, is it possible to bridge the gap? What would it take for me to be wrong um, and to say, no, no, we we can snap back. we can we can come back from the brink. Um, I don't know what that is. And I have been thinking about that for a, a long time. Um, I cannot uh, believe that there is a God. 
to to borrow the um, phrase, the expression, I am so made uh, that I cannot believe. I, I cannot. Um, and I, I have a feeling that those who are on the far right cannot unbelieve any more than I can believe. Uh, so I think one of the one of the things that has to change is that that fundamental little thing has to change in people's hearts and minds. I mean, I was a little bit of a crazy conservative. I wasn't. I would have never been a Trump supporter as a Christian. Um, and I, I, I'm fairly confident for reasons okay. uh, that I could give that I I would never have been. But that said, uh, the way for me to have uh, changed as much as I have politically and socially uh, is I have got rid of my belief in God. That had to come first. I, I, I would not have been able to round this corner hanging on to the kind of belief in uh, the kind of God that I had. And I don't think that Christians can either. I don't think they can do it without letting that go. And I think that um, that's a bridge too far for uh, so many of them. Uh, I cannot believe in an epistemology that includes faith, nor can I trust the judgment of someone with an epistemology that includes faith. And they cannot have epistemology that doesn't include faith. I don't, I don't, I don't know how we make it across. I don't think we can do it. Uh, our worldviews are not coming closer together. Our ideas of what is good are not coming closer together. I'm not going to change my idea of good to mean that uh, uh, immigrant families and children need to be separated at some border um, and, uh, you know, have, have many children orphaned. And I, and I do not believe that Americans' borders ought to be closed to people uh, less fortunate and risking their lives to find something better. I don't think that those people looking for something better ought to be met with a gun. I think that as long as we have a crumb of bread, we should be willing to split it in half again for someone who's uh, willing to risk their life to get it because we ought to value life. Those people who are so pro-life seem to care so little about life once it comes out of the hole. Um, and so I, I don't know how we cross that bridge. We don't agree on what's good. We don't agree on what's right. We don't agree on anything. And we can't make that divide. We can't reach across uh, the chasm to join hands. And so I just don't see uh, how that's possible. And uh, finally, uh, I would say that uh, I would echo something that uh, Andrew said. Just think about uh, for a moment uh, what Christians, Christians, I implore you to think about what you've had to swallow for the last few years to, to be a Christian. You haven't had to suffer persecution. You've had to suffer the death of your character. You've had to suffer the death of your credibility to, to be in the position that you are in right now. And I've got to tell you, there, there may be some out there who think that uh, your credibility hasn't suffered any kind of fatal blow. It absolutely has. It has it has suffered not just from me. I think there are millions of people newly minted like me 
who can never listen to you again, who can never take you seriously again. And when you start babbling about Jesus, oh, God, we just want to throw up at that point. And that that wasn't the reaction we had before. You have permanently damaged yourself. And I would be curious to see in some future uh, Christian roundtable how you think that that is not true. Because whatever you think is so important politically, you have damaged your witness forever. You have no religious credibility except with the people who already believe. Your ministry is damned. And for the first time, I'm really glad of that. Brian? So um, during these tumultuous political times, I found myself doing what I tend to do, which is uh, I've been rewatching the TV show, The West Wing. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it or have watched it, but it's one of my absolute favorites. Uh, and, you know, I don't align myself entirely politically with the people in that show. But uh, but just that the government runs, it, it's, it's something that I think is aspirational. Uh, and, and what I'm seeing in the real world, unfortunately, is not what one of my favorite lines from that show is. There was a there was a part of the series where uh, the Democratic president had to step down and the Republican House of um, Representative speaker rose to power for a period of time. Uh, and obviously that was a big, big uh, plot line. Uh, but the guy who ascended to power in talking to the aides of the president that just left said that there's a lot more that unites us than divides us as Americans. Uh, and unfortunately, I'm not seeing that that's the case right now in our current environment. And I think if we're ever going to get past this crazy political um, environment, we have to get back to there being things that unite us that are far stronger and far greater than the things that divide us. We have to agree that we share a country, we share a government, we share our schools, our neighborhoods, we share our online spaces and offline spaces. We have to figure out what it is that we share so that we can build from there rather than retreating to the polls, to our blue team and red team end games. And, and just having a polarized tribalism where we're all just screaming at each other on Twitter or, you know, yanking yard signs out of our neighbor's yards. Um, it's just it's petty. It's it should be beneath us. And, and there's so much we have to gain if we could at least find a common ground to start from. Then we can disagree civilly. Then we can argue and we'll fight the good fights and the winners will win and the losers will lose and not file frivolous lawsuits because they lost. Uh, I'm hopeful that we get there. I think we uh, elucidated a lot of the troubles that we currently have that make it difficult and maybe even impossible to see. But I don't think we should stop trying. I think we should always be trying and trying to have good conversations, regardless of what the other person on the other side is thinking or feeling, because I don't see any other way to get there otherwise. This uh, Christmas period, I was supposed to be spending time with people I love, both family and friends, people I care about, Christians and people who are not Christians, all people who I adore or people who I respect or people who I'll miss seeing face to face or people who I'll miss laughing with. And like I said, Christian and non-Christian, I adore them all, people whose values I respect and admire. The kind of religion that we've been talking about on this episode is not at all like that. It does not 
feature the people that I recognize as good and loving people. It does not feature the people that I recognize as people I want to spend time with. It is a poison and it has infected far too much of our life and, and our society. Uh, and it is a bane poison which doesn't even recognize itself for what it is. And it is creating a festering division. And I would say, if you're one of those people who thinks there's a conspiracy against Donald Trump that he just didn't lose on his own grounds, if you think that he is a deserving president, if you think those things, I want to say to you, step away from the edge, turn around and look towards the middle where all the nice people are, where all the caring people are, and come back to the light, because it's only by doing that that we will be able to recognize the things that we do share, the things that we do in common, because the way that you're walking, you're going to tip this plate over and it won't be pretty. Excellent. Well, I would echo that as a loving, moderate middle ground. I'd like to say I'd like to see the likes of uh, Pat Robinson, who predicted Trump's re-election in dreams and visions and prophecies. Uh, I'd like them taken out to the public square and stoned. Uh, no, I'm joking. No, <laughs> no, I'm saying that, well, there should be a few questions being asked by the uh, by the Christian side because there was a lot of predictions that God had told them he was going to to win. Um, and then unless things go very badly in the next few weeks, hopefully that won't be the case. But anyway, um, ultimately, yeah, I think the whole world needs to bring the temperature down right now. We need to find the middle ground again. We need to find people who are going to reach over to uh, other sides and try and work with each other. Um, and I think for America, you need to start valuing truth. You need to look at some at some history and uh, see the warning signs when leaders fill a place with their family uh, you know, uh, members when they start discrediting your press and your institutions, when they drive wedges, wedges and twists the truth. These are signs of a, of tyranny and of a, and of of things not ending well. They're just they've been repeated. Look at the history, um, and do and the character does matter. I know you may see him as a means to an end, but the character of the man does does have an impact. It's somebody who, in the middle of the COVID crisis, thought about nothing more than his re-election and the economy. Uh, who is not not comp competent, who is not consistent, who has no compassion, no wisdom, no in integrity. He's not committed to anything other than beyond himself. He um, and he just follows his ego and his impulses. And we feel like we've absorbed the crazy uh, for four years now. Uh, it's like living with a, a completely mentally sick cousin. And it's affecting all of us, the collective, the collective psyche. So we need to calm down. We need some rest. We need some peace because 2020 has been way too exhausting as it is. Amen. Thank you so much, uh, guys, for coming and uh, helping me process uh, some of this. Um, I'll, I'll re-listen to this conversation. I will uh, think about it. Uh, seriously, because at this point, you guys are, uh, and people like you are the only people who can talk to me right now. Um, you're the only people who can disagree with me and that I listen. Uh, and so when a Christian disagrees with me at this point, it, it's, I just, I don't believe them. 
Um, and I need more people who I respect, who don't agree with me, uh, who can make me think and uh, help me walk back from the ledge. And, you know, there are plenty of people on, on the boards uh, who I occasionally disagree with, who I, uh, whose opinions I respect, and I read their posts, and I look forward to uh, engagement. And so, you know, and, and some of them uh, have the moniker of Christian, but of the type of Christian that I'm talking about, that, that conversation is lost to me at this point, and I don't know if I'll ever have it again in my lifetime. And that, that makes the future of skeptics and seekers um, clouding for me. It's not that I'm saying that I'm going to, you know, chuck it over a cliff, uh, although sometimes that would be very nice. Um, it is that when I first started the show, you know, I, I had guests who were, you know, well on the other side who I could respect you know, who I could, who I could talk to and trust because we simply disagreed about something. We weren't enemies. And, um, at this, and, and I trusted them, you know, and at this point there's so few, uh, on that side that qualify. And so I know that you'll say, well, you know, maybe David, you're the problem. I am a part of the problem. I recognize that. Um, I don't, I don't know the way back though. You know, I don't know, Dave. The Saturday, I, I'll, I'll tell this because of what you're saying. The Saturday after the election, after Biden won, my girlfriend's sister, conservative evangelical, uh, Church of God member. Just, just remember the mic is still on. <laughs> I understand. Okay, all right. <laughs> so, so, so you wonder why I've got energy around this. You wonder, wonder why I seem so... I write, my girlfriend's sister sent me a text. She sent it to the whole family. So we have this family, yes, family group text that we all use. And she knew I voted for Joe Biden. She sent a text out to the family and called me a baby killer. Now, how do you expect, how do you expect to come back from the break when these are the kinds of things that we're willing to do? Yeah. I'm not saying I'm perfect, by the way. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that I haven't done things wrong. But this is where we are. Right. It's, 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 it's so hard to, you see, I mean, Christians have been lying about this for a long time. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't even know why I care about what anyone thinks anymore. Um, Christians have been lying about this for a long time because uh, just on the abortion issue alone. Uh, so I know that just here at the end of the podcast, the bringing up abortion, this is going to be, most of the comments are going to be, now be about abortion. <laughs> but that's fine. Yeah. Christians uh, have thought that people who supported abortion uh, were murderers uh, for a long time. All right. Um, they, it's, that's what they think. They don't just think you're making a decision that I don't agree with. 
they think you are murderers and and you support murders and they and they lie and say oh but we love you no they do not <laughs> they love you in the way they love a pedophile uh they love you in the way they love uh a a hitler they love you in a way that they love a cannibal they don't love you at all because they think that's what you are and you're sitting there having these these polite conversations when the real conversation is you are a fucking murderer who is going to burn in hell forever and I can't wait uh, until that happens. That's the real conversation. But that's uh, what she said. She actually said a couple of texts later. But I want you to know, so she couldn't address me directly now. You know, she called me a baby killer. But she does say a couple of texts later, I still love you all. Now, this, this conversation... <laughs> This conversation went on for 102 messages. You've murdered a million babies this year, but I love you. I just, I, okay. I'm, I'm going to stop now, but it is, this is where we are. And I'm just saying, you talked about the future of skeptics and seekers being a little cloudy. There's good reason that it's cloudy. I'm not unique. That's the problem. This is the level of discourse that we have reached. And you have every right to wonder what the future looks like. Now, I actually think we get through it, like I said at the beginning. We get through this. But the magic eight ball is having a stroke right now. <laughs> no idea. The signs are cloudy. Ask again later. When I started this show, I was in lockstep with Justin Brierley, a person who wanted better conversations. Right now, I don't. What I want are honest conversations, and those aren't going to look like better conversations. They're they're no. they're going to look like nasty rants uh, between people who don't like each other. Because I, I've got to tell you, I can't stomach the what's past for better conversations anymore. Because it's just polite lies, and I, I, I can't do polite lies anymore. It really brings it home when you're given it an example like that with your family. It really, I mean, you know, whilst we on the other side of the pond might just raise an eyebrow and find the whole, the whole evangelical Christianity over in the states a bit a bit crazy. Um, you know, we just don't have that that issue anywhere anywhere else in Europe. I don't believe. I mean, people just tend to. The the abortion issue is is just is move. We've we've legislated on it decades ago. That's it. Don't if you don't believe it, don't have one, and maybe seek to persuade others not to. Maybe uh, try and educate them, pray for them, whatever you want to do. But you you don't rehash it each time, and it's certainly not the political issue. Nor uh, therefore, why would you? Uh, it's, it is really quite distressing to hear that. That's how bad it is. Um, you it know, got worse. They sent out, we wouldn't have gone, but they sent out Thanksgiving invitations. They, uh, you know, we, we have a big extended family, uh, 15, 20 people that show up to all the family events. We weren't invited this year. Wow. Because of that or because of the whole not being Christian generally? Well, so we have never not been invited in the past. Uh, in fact, I'm, I openly 
I openly reject prayer. You know, this is one of these families. By the way, I love this family. We have our warts and boils. But make no mistake about it. If the phone rings at two in the morning, we all rally around, or at least we used to. And um, they get together and they hold hands and they pray. I don't. And that has never been an issue in the past. Well, it's been kind of an issue because they would like for my daughter to be involved in that. And I won't, I won't let it happen. So, so have been, there have been some, some bruised feelings, but we have gotten through it. Mm. Um, now, I didn't know that we would get through this one. I thought that was going to break the family, that I, I wouldn't let them indoctrinate him. We've gotten through that. At, at least it seems that we have. Um, nobody talks about it, but, you know, it, 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 it's just, it's sort of gone away. Would you give a, but, would you give a kidney to a Trump supporter? It used to be, and not so very long ago, when I would have said, and quite honestly, uh, you know, to pick my worst enemy on the Christian side, my quote unquote enemy, I don't really have any enemies. Um, <laughs> you know, pick pick my pick my pick my greatest so nemesis. Um, pick my greatest nemesis. If they if they uh, needed a kidney and I was a match, I would uh, I would have given it to them uh, in a moment. Even while we were arguing, <laughs> I would have still uh, uh, given them a kidney, knowing that they probably wouldn't do the same for me because they think that I'm somehow demon spawned. And that if they gave me a kidney, I would just be, uh, they would be advancing the work of the devil. But at this point, I got to tell you, uh, I don't think I would give a kidney to someone who I think is that evolutionarily backward. We're, we're not helping the greater good by having good people die in self-sacrifice to help uh, bad people spread lies. That's, that's reverse evolution. It's devolution. And um, I don't, I don't think I am that person anymore. I think that I would have to. Are you a Trump supporter? <laughs> then no, you're not getting my kidney. Um, I honestly you know. have a different set of questions I'd have to ask myself. It's, it's for me, it it probably wouldn't boil down to politics at all. If I'm being honest, I would I would have to talk uh, to the doctors and say, look, I'm type two diabetic. What are the chances that I am going to need that kidney in the future because of, uh, because of reduced kidney function, which quite often happens to type two diabetics later on in life. Uh, you know, what are the chances that, that that operation contributes to shortening my life and therefore the amount of time that, that my daughter will have a, a father, right? I'm, I'm 52, right? Uh, and, and so I would wonder about, uh, my life and my life in her future, and I would have to weigh those consequences. And it really would not. It really would not come down to politics and come down to something entirely different. But I get what you're saying. And hey, hey Brian, who 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 would you uh, not give a kidney to? <laughs> Is this a thing in America I... where you give each other kidneys at Thanksgiving no. or something? I mean, it's just you're obsessed with giving there kidneys. There is, in fact, a sitcom. Don't do it. Uh, there's, a, there's a new sitcom. I didn't know this. That's, Look, this is... <laughs> there's a new sitcom out uh, where a person uh, 
needs a transplant and plant a long lost friend comes by and it turns out uh, oh yeah well i can donate and it's a it's all about that so uh this is a thing it's a it is a kind of a saying oh i would i would give a kidney to that person uh most people actually wouldn't <laughs> but it is kind of it's kind of one of those tests of Friendship and loyalty. Would you would you give a kidney to that person? I took your question we would, we seriously, dude. As, now you're. Would you have you a cup of tea? <laughs> would you give him a cup of tea? Yeah. So, uh, so Brian, who would you not give a kidney to? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna flip it. I'm gonna flip it around. I would give my kidney to Donald Trump if he would admit that he's lying, concede, and go away. From <laughs> you're safe. Fool. <laughs> he can have the the worst of my two kids. He he would say it and and call you a fool as he uh, was wheeled out of the hospital. I would I would have Teddy drop the papers that way. They'd oh no! That would <laughs> and, and yeah, that wouldn't sudden, help you Brian's either. On dialysis because he doesn't have either kidney left. Yeah. And, you know, Donald Trump's got one as a spare sitting in a freezer. So no, dude, you're, you're you'd end up giving her yeah. lung away. I think if you I'm, did that. I'm going to have to stop you from. Uh, from that, Brian. I'm sorry. Wait, I, I got the you. I got the scalpel you. in my hand. I'm pulling it out as we speak. <laughs> no. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> oh, you actually have to take the kidney out yourself. Yes. <laughs> no anesthesia. Just do it. Get it out. <laughs> So look, guys, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go. I'm sorry to the people who continue to listen to this uh, show. Why are you there? Get a life. Uh, this thing ended an hour ago. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, there will be great shows in the future. Uh, I am going to hit the big red button at this point, and there will be no editing. And so, <laughs> if you guys have any regrets. <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough, tough titty, you penis addicted. <laughs> <hypnotic>. <laughs> 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 <laughs>